Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. You hold in your hot little ears episode 102 with Graham McMillan and I ready and semi-able to talk four-color news and issue funny book lamentations of the newest, strangest, and saddest aspects of the comic book world. Today we discuss the Uncanny Avengers and its 20 variant covers, compare comic book events both natural and not-so-natural, rave over an excerpt of Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe, and we also review the 13th issues of both Batman and Action Comics, The Now of Brown by Glenn Dillon, Pedestrian by Gordon Harris, Amelia Cole in the Unknown World by Adam Nave, DJ Kirkbride, and Nick Brokenshire, the first two issues of Harbinger, Axe Cop, President of the World, Fatale Number 8, issues 7 through 10 of Star Wars by Roy Thomas, Don Glutt, Howard Chaikin, and Tom Palmer, and... Last but very far from least, the 13th issue of Watcher. It's more than two and a half hours of comic book myth-making we hope has a little bit of something for everyone. Drop by SavageCritic.com to see our show notes, check out at least a page from issue 13, and uh, drop us some comments. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. It's you sound very bright and breezy. You've Don't. not taken your muscle relaxants today. <laughs> it is true. I actually am uh, muscle relaxant free, and my back doesn't feel like there is um, a tiny person trying to punch out the back of my kidneys. So both of those are good things, Jeff Lester. I would have to say so, Nolan. <laughs> I would have to say so. Uh, what it is is, I think you and I are swapping off, like not being fully there, because as you know, and listeners don't. Like this is we're recording late today because when we normally recorded I had to get in touch with Jeff and basically tell him, Oh my god, I'm so busy, I can't talk to you right now. So maybe, we're, we're talking like fifty minutes later than normal. Yeah, maybe maybe that's part of why I'm so chipper. Because normally it's like I scream home and tear into the house and start booting things up and everything's like going wrong and uh I feel like I'm late anyway, even though I've told you that I'm going to be calling you at twenty two. And then, um, yeah, for you to ask for an extra 15 minutes, I was like, this is awesome. Like, my computer's not malfunctioning. I, it's not on me. No, it's, it, was me, it was me that was malfunctioning. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your computer. It's actually me. Well, apparently that's all I need, Graham. <laughs> just, just I don't care if things go wrong as long as it's not my fault. So please. If there's a heroin habit or something you wish to start indulging in to slowly, you know, destroy your life and the life of the podcast, just, uh, just, just, uh, just do it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, that's you great. Know. I'll try and bear that in mind. <laughs> I think the best thing about this podcast is I don't know if there's ever been any of my advice you've ever taken, so I feel completely comfortable. You feel okay putting... with? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll try, I'll try and bear that in mind in future. Try and take more of Jeff's advice as long as it's not terrible stuff that will destroy my life. Exactly. Well, that's I think that's words everyone can live by. Frankly, um, yeah. So, well, having established this jaunty tone, comics, uh, comics, ladies and gentlemen. I have to say, Graham, uh, I was actually feeling pretty jaunty about comics until uh, about three minutes ago. What? I don't, Three minutes ago. Nothing major. I just uh, I I opened up my browser to the to the world's most um, happy news imparting website, Bleeding Cool, 
And uh, I saw this thing about how Marvel was going to be selling their own stuff at uh, NYCC. And oh, I, I have not seen this. I just, I just got really depressed. So good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you want to jump that, over That's there. never gone wrong before, Marvel right. selling their own stuff. Right. True. Please please tell me they're calling it like Heroes Universe or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, the heroic age world. Uh, no, it's just. I mean, it's not. It's it's not. I think so crazy. I mean, as as Rich points out, that there's you know plenty of other um, comics uh, publishers that basically sell their stuff directly at a convention. You know, but I I think what what disturbs me is the shit that they're they're selling for the most part is like. It's stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I that I guess. I, well, part there's part of there's part of that that bothers me. I suppose honestly, there's just some sort of weird. Uh, I don't like variant covers. I and I really feel like Marvel has gone so. You, you don't like variant covers. Well, what about the fact that uh, Uncanny Avengers has twenty of them, Jeff? Yeah, twenty that... two zero. That's fucking insane. Yeah, I mean that's just that is that is some horrific sign of something, isn't it? I mean, I it's, just don't it's kind of crazy. And the worst part is, you know, so many people don't seem to have a problem with this. No, they really it's don't. Twenty covers. Yeah, twenty. Uh, yeah, that, it blows my mind. It really does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does for me too. And I think that was it. Just something of seeing the little NYCC uh, variant uh, cover for. Um, God, I'm, I'm assuming it's A versus X. I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's Avengers versus X-Men issue 12. Because okay. it says at the top, Avengers versus X-Men round 12 variant edition. But it also says AVX right above that. So Yeah, but AVX is the, it's the Avengers versus X-Men logo. Because the AVX logo says Avengers versus X-Men. You, you know this, right? Cox, don't you? Yes, yes, I do. I just can't keep straight which is which anymore. So, so this really is the last That's issue that, of Avengers yes. versus X-Men. Yes. Which is like the one of the two comics that came out this week that are comics and not graphic novels that I've actually read. And Jeff, <laughs> oh man, I actually had one of those moments this morning where I was looking online for reviews and I mm-hmm. saw both CPR and Newsarama give it a really good review. And I was like, they read a different comic. They, they have to have read a different comic. <laughs> tell me, Graham. Tell, tell all of us. Well, okay. What do you think happens? In Avengers vs. X-Men issue 12. Here's the cliffhanger from issue 11, okay? Mm -hmm. Cyclops has managed to defeat Emma Frost in a fight, so he now has the powers of all of the Phoenix Five. He is essentially the Phoenix. Right. Um, The X-Men try an intervention on him, Mm -hmm. which ends with him killing Professor Xavier. (laughs) And then he goes, this is how Gene felt. And then... Everyone's like, he's become Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. What do you think happens in issue 12? Well, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I don't know. Because I think, I, as I told you, what I would love uh, would be the sort of situation where he basically kicks everyone's ass, then in the middle of kicking everyone's ass, essentially realizes that he is sort of following in Jean Grey's footsteps uh, and using her example from the original X-Men 137, he actually maneuvers himself, lowers his own defenses, and allows himself to be struck down and killed rather 
then um, you know perpetuate the cycle. So, or, or rather, he sort that, of completes the cycle that Jean Grey had started. That's a great idea. Here's what happens: <laughs> the the Avengers and the X Men try to fight him, and they all get their asses kicked. Right. Everyone's like, "Well, this is it. We're all going to die." And then Hope and the Scarlet Witch, who through a series of flashbacks you only see this issue, <laughs> reveals that Hope is now copying the Scarlet Witch's powers, and the Scarlet Witch is the only person to ever in history stand up to the Phoenix. Because you know that's true. What? Um, they then fight him, like literally, like punch him a lot, because Hope is also caught. Hope has also learned how to do the Iron Fist, uh, so they punch him a lot. Then, when it looks like he might win, he then mistakes Hope for Jean Grey, lets down his defenses, and they knock him out with a punch. Because they knock him out with a punch, the Phoenix then goes to Hope, who becomes Phoenix, heals the world after everything that Scott has done, then is talked down by Wanda, so the two of them say, no more Phoenix, and Phoenix leaves the Earth, and in the process, restarts the mutant race. Ugh! Really? Yes. Oh! Yes! That, that's, it, that's, it's that okay. bad. All right, now, now, serious. I I want to make sure that I understand sort of each stage of the train going off the tracks and plowing into the the bus full of orphan children. You're saying that that Hope and Scarlet Witch have sort of teamed up, like behind the scenes. Well, you've kind of seen them before, like talk to each other, but this is the issue where you really see that they have teamed up behind the scenes and have been training together and have fought. Okay, so there is no real indication in the previous issues that that this has happened. So it kind of feels like a gimme, like you got to give it to the creators, like it just sort of seems to come, it feels like it comes out of nowhere, right? Pretty and, much, yeah. And, and then the other thing is, is that the Scarlet Witch is the only one who stood up to the Phoenix? What is that? What? Are you sure you're... Because I thought they were making noises about the Iron Fist with that. Are you sure you're not sort of like... No, 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 it's Wanda. Okay. All right, so that's two gimmies. And then with those two gimmies in place, they turn mental and magic things into punching. And then after they've successfully punchified, they have... A dude mistake his own daughter for his wife. Yes. Oh, she's not his daughter, Jeff. Oh, right. I'm sorry. She's just a redhead. Are you serious? No, seriously. Uh, Hope Hope is no relation to the Summers. Who's her parents? Uh, I have no idea if you ever saw them. I think they died at the start of Messiah Complex. Okay. Hope is kids. Really? So that's like the shittiest. So he just mistakes... The woman that he loved for the majority of his life with a random redhead. It's very smoky, Jeff. But basically what happens is he sees a redhead coming through the smoke and she pretends to be Jean. What? She's like, it's okay, Scott. And he's like, Jean? (laughs) And then they punch him out. Then they knock him out with a punch. Oh, my God. So basically once, once Cyclops drops the phoenix powers by awakening the power of the pedo within then he gets punched by both of them and then they then they they actually use their magic wishing powers to 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 actually say no more phoenix they actually say no more phoenix no no. they actually say no more phoenix like that's a thing that they actually say out loud yes because 
everyone thought that when this, this is what this is the conversation. Wanda walks up to Hope and says, "Look inside yourself. See what I see in you. This is your destiny. You're right. You were born to be the Phoenix, but not so you could wield this power. It's because you're the only one with the strength to let it go." And Hope says, "Wanda, Wanda, I feel like I'm on fire." Then Wanda says, "Back in Kun Lun, you were right about me. Once upon a time, I started this whole mess. Please." Let me help you end it. No more fire. No more fighting. No more playing God. And the next panels them both saying no more Phoenix. Okay. Did Bendis write this? Is that no, who? J- Jason Aaron. Ooh, Jason Aaron. No. Like Jason Aaron. That's, that's that's not even the worst dialogue in the whole thing. The worst dialogue in the whole thing is... Uh, I'm going to try and find it. So it's then followed by an epilogue of Captain America talking to Cyclops. After the battle, Cyclops is like arrested. He's wearing a big helmet to control his, his optic blasts. Arrested? Who arrested him? I, I, well, he's in custody. I have no okay. idea. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Right. Uh, I'm Sorry, I'm mistaking your narrative shortcut for their narrative shortcut. So I'm just like, blah. All right, so continue. Right, okay. Uh-huh. Was, I'll take my share of the responsibility for all of this as well. Back in Utopia, you were right about one thing. The Avengers should have done more to help mutants. I should have done more. I allowed the world to hate and fear them for far too long. I won't make that same mistake again. Cut to Hawkeye and the Scarlet Witch. Looking at... You know how they always used to choose teams by looking at photographs on a table? Yeah. Now they're looking at floating screens of heads, right? Oh, of course they are, yeah. And Hawkeye goes, I don't understand. What is this again? Cap's putting together a new Avengers team because Hawkeye is exposition man? <laughs> Not exactly. This is something a bit more... And then it cuts to them looking at the screens and you see the screens are all X-Men. And Wanda goes, uncanny. Uh, <laughs> uh, ow. Ow. Ow, Graham. God damn it. Seriously. <sighs> and the, the line after that, okay, is Cyclops going, well then, I guess this begins a new age for Avengers and X-Men both. Oh my god. Oh my god. I don't think I've ever heard anything be so on the nose that it felt like I was getting punched. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Uh, it's really, really bad. And also sort of underscores how pointless the whole story is. Mm-hmm. Issue one was, we can't let Hope become the Phoenix. And by issue 12, they're like, the only good thing that can happen is Hope becomes the Phoenix. Right. Right. Well... It took them 12 issues to learn that by... Punching things. Punching. Yeah, punching things. Oh, my God. Ah. Yeah, it's... it's it's um, I don't know. Like I'm saying, I'm really genuinely surprised that people are like, this is a great issue. I mean, Nova comes back into it for the first time since issue one. And it appears he's just been flying around the entire time. They're like, who the hell is out there? And Nova's like, this is Nova. I'm a hemisphere away. And then he basically, again punches Cyclops and flies him into the ground. And that's actually the end, the last you see of Nova. Well, that's not true. You see him at the end where someone's like, you should become an Avenger. Uh, hmm. Where, where's that? Where's that conversation? Thor, Thor at the end. Thor says that. Nova, you handled yourself admirably in battle against the Phoenix. Nova goes, really? I thought all he did was crash into things really hard, which is kind of a funny line. Uh, and Thor goes, we would count you amongst our number as a member of the Avengers. Because, you know, they're really taking anyone now. Well, I mean, that's really it. I mean, I, it would be awesome for Nova to be like, what? what? Are you kidding? Like, look at all the muty scum you're letting in. Forget it. You know, 
Like he's just like a complete bigot, you know? I don't know. Graham, this is horrible. Uh, people aren't saying like more things like, hey, by the way, this stank? Or is it just kind of everyone's diminished expectations are like, well, you know what? That didn't stink as badly as I was expecting it to. So I have to say it was a success. At least the News Ram interview is like, the rest of the series hasn't really landed, but this is a great last issue. Really? It, and in the same review, they're like, yeah, the dialogue's kind of bad, and everything I expect to happen. It's one of those really weird things where you're like, how is it good then? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. execution is poor, and it does everything you expect it to do. Why is that good? Anyway. the Because last... they didn't do it worse? I don't know. I mean, but they just said that they didn't do it well. All right, yes. Last... The last is um, Captain America and Wolverine walking out on Cyclops, who is, like, arrested. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right. And Cyclops goes, that's the thing about the Phoenix. There always has to be destruction before the rebirth. <laughs> that's the last line of the book. Oh, oh Graham. Oh, God. While, while Cyclops is saying that, by the way, because that's like narration over a different scene, um, mm-hmm. the sun rising over what's left of Utopia. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful day. And then she flies off, and the last shot is her flying off in a, with her jetpack, and her single rose is growing out the ground. Oh my god! Oh my god! This actually sounds like a parody. Like literally, everything is so on the nose. Are you? Are you? Oh god! Serious? I'm one hundred percent serious. See, ah, oh, Jesus! I want to know the one thing that makes No More Phoenix almost worthwhile? What? If you also got Avengers versus X Men, sorry, AVX versus issue six, you get Hope versus the Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. written by Kieran Gillen. At one point, Hope headbutts the Scarlet Witch and says, "No more nose." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Okay, well that's see. This is I guess this is what actually bothers me about the some of the Marvel stuff that they're selling at the store, I guess, is... I don't know. It's just this weird kind of, like... Like, on the one hand, Marvel has managed to dramatically widen its ability to market everything and anything by fully embracing the not-giving-a-shit-about-anything maneuver. You know what I mean? Like... It's like when you see the, the cutesy t-shirts that they're selling at NYCC. I'm like, oh, that's great. I mean, there's no there's no book that looks like that, you know. But but Marvel has like 15 variant covers that make you feel like they're embracing that look, you know. That, uh, and, that's what really bothers me about the whole um, APX babies thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just – there's something about that, that I find really – backwards i guess mm-hmm. but i mm-hmm. feel like i should be really favor because we're like this was you know a one-off cover that everyone really liked and so they decided to do more with it great but on the end i'm also like this is a one-off cover that because they're so desperate to sell anything right they're like they're going to take this cute cartoon and run it into the ground mm-hmm. well I, you know what honestly i wouldn't m- Part of me wouldn't mind that almost if it was just, uh, I don't know. if Because if, I'm thinking back to the times where, God help us all, like 
Claremont actually figured out a way to put the X babies in an annual, you know what I mean? Like it's weird and uncomfortable, but, but at least it sort of exists kind of like, I, I think the thing that bothers me is, is that Marvel kind of, those comics seem to suggest that, that it's like, Hey, you know, kind of like we're Marvel. We sort of have have it all but they don't they've got this really super narrow stripe of something that they are then willing to wrap just about any wrapper around but it's still kind of the same old bullshit you know what i mean do you not get weirdly reminded of like silver age dc insofar as like marvel used to be like there's one earth there's one continuity everything happens in that even if it's goofy and now Mm -hmm. like we have a world for that Right. Like you want A babies versus X babies? Here's Earth A babies versus X babies. <laughs> you want Marvel zombies? Here's Earth Marvel zombies. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like right. everything they they they're so into the idea of franchising their characters, like mm-hmm. within their own fictional universe, that they have essentially embraced the multiverse to do that. Right. Well, I. Yeah, I don't know. That's actually a really interesting point because I I feel like hmm, how do I, I I think that there's something there that I can you know even even without the muscle relaxants I'm just not sharp enough to wrap my brain around. I think it has something to do with like arguably you could say that the Silver Age DC books like if you look at its Silver Age Superman stories for example. Like Superman in and of himself kind of like you played you played with the iconicity iconicness of Superman to to create your story, I guess if you know what I mean. Like Superman like the story value of Superman really wasn't especially high, but there was a weird meta value that you had by having Superman's head turn into a giant robot. And then you told a story about why that would happen. Or you could have an imaginary story or you could have any number of things. But essentially you were sort of like there was nothing really. It was almost like there was it felt like there was nothing really left to explore with the character. And because he was exhausted, the only thing you could sort of do was sort of stretch silly putty over his face and warp it. You know, you know what I mean? Sure. I I in that sense, it almost makes sense that Marvel are doing this now because they have also come completely exhausted to characters right and i i think that's what really bothers me is is that it feels like this 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 complete state of exhaustion you know where e- even the things yeah that that avx is almost like a 12 issue silver age story or really a lot like god help us you know a 12 issue mega event that really has about the same consistency and credibility as a bob haney brave and the bold story you know what I mean? Um, see, I, I disagree with you on that. Well, see, I li- don't get me wrong. My difference is, on the one hand, I find that Bob Haney's stuff is entertaining, but I don't think that I would have found the story where, like, say, Bruce Wayne discovers that he's got, like, an inbred cousin, you know, uh, is perfectly fine is like a as a world's finest story with like superman or or you know superman junior and batman junior on like motorcycles discovering like a strange manson-esque cult in new mexico like it, i think that's absolutely fine for like one issue or even when it's like one strike you know what i mean the fact that you can pick up 
one weird issue of blank, I kind of think is all right. When you've got like five Batman titles on the market, it's good that one of them's a little different. But I guess my problem is, is that the arbitrary Marvel Universe feels like it's the only Marvel Universe in place now you know for me and i guess that's what and i guess that's why it bothers me i think i think a 12 store 12 issue bob haney superman and batman junior epic uh would probably um overstay its welcome for me too by like issue three or something like that really you're and i are wrong in that one uh, <laughs> i don't know i I think it gains some uh, some form of validity mm-hmm. by being "quote unquote" the the main universe or the actual universe or or the mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like the mainstream continuity that like a Bob Haney thing wouldn't. I, I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's the same thing as like Bob Haney going on for twelve issues because Bob Haney's part of Bob Haney's charm was that it was so self contained. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. that by putting it in the main universe, it's giving it legitimacy mm-hmm. in some well, that the, the, the Haney books don't have. What I mean, but for AVX, for me, is Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's that level of ridiculousness, I guess. But without mm-hmm. the but taking itself so seriously that it's almost even stripped of the the wackiness of Secret Wars. Well, see, but the, I, how do I put this? Like, I feel like, like what you're talking about is sort of this weird, calibrated, sort of behind-the-scenes understanding that a reader has implicitly. I mean, every issue of Brave and the Bold and World's Finest was in continuity, you know? They didn't have any stages that said, and even with the Superman Jr., Batman Jr. stuff got in, they you know, sort of said, well, this kind of happens in the future and, you know, but they, they, you know, the majority of Batman's crazy shit, uh, which would be an awesome title, alternate title for Brave and the Bold if you ever want to repackage it. Batman's uh, crazy shit. Batman's crazy, crazy shit. <laughs> uh, is, you know, it exists. It's just as you read it, you know that it it didn't really count. You know what I mean? Like there was just no... And I think I think DC barely had any sort of concept of universe-wide continuity. Like it, like it was so late to that party um, that more often than not, it was just yeah, you know, you just did whatever insane shit that ha- had to have happen in your comic book, um, you know. And so I guess in a way, the DC universe never really like the universe angle of it felt incredibly tacked on to me after the fact. And I guess in, in, in a way, but, but like I said, that's all this weird behind the scenes action that's going on as a reader. Again, the taken at their taken at face value, like the majority of the brave and the bold stuff or the silver age Superman stuff, all that stuff really happened. And that's, that's important to people like Grant Morrison or Alan Moore. When they talk about that stuff is, is the idea that you had a place that was elastic enough to be that I don't know that that could that could move through all of those tones and what's weird to me is is while I would think that that would be something that I would really welcome with the Marvel to the Marvel universe you know to quote Hawkeye you know not like this you know <laughs> uh, 
I don't. Oh, well played. Thank you. Thank you. It, it just, it feels, it just doesn't, it just feels wrong in, in a way that, that, you know, behind the scenes for me that I can't tell if it, if it reads that way in, in front of the book, you know, but I would think that, I would think that, yeah, Avengers versus X-Men was, was marketed as being much more of much more grave importance than any other event. But I mean, Secret Wars was exactly the same way. You know, it was marketed exactly the same. It just, you know, it ended up being inherently goofy shit because because Jim Shooter's it, yeah, because because it, it was inherently goofy shit. I mean, almost yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> almost everything in, in Secret Wars is inherently goofy. While you were talking, I've just also read in Bleeding Cool that um, despite the twenty covers on Kind of Avengers, it's actually not going to beat Walking Dead a hundred in sales. Wasn't that kind of a relief? It's it's one of those things where I'm like, haha, and also, why am I so happy? Walking Dead had like twenty covers as well. Right. Well, how, how many what? did it have? It was. I thought I thought it had like eleven or twelve. Yeah, because that's much better. Well, one would say that it's twice as better. I mean, I don't know. I, I you know, I or half 12, as bad. Twelve in a twelve. In a twelve. Okay. So twelve covers. I mean, yes, absolutely. Am I not happy about that? I'm. I, I think it is kind of a kind of a drag. I, I think that it's it's hilarious. Like it it says something about what a complicated world that we live in that you can talk about you can have, you know, Brian Hibbs writing a tilting of windmills where he talks about Walking Dead a hundred being at the top of the charts as a triumph of the direct market, and two months later write about how alternate covers are, you know, the cancer that is eating away the comics marketplace. You know. I, and I don't, I, I know that he's got a very complex algebra that allows him to describe that. The idea that a lot of which had to do with the idea that all of those covers, with the exception of maybe one or two toward the end, were ones that he could choose which ones he ordered. So he didn't have to, he could opt out of ordering any weird ones that he wanted. Whereas with the Marvel thing, it's entirely based around numbers but I, I can't imagine that that's the case is it i haven't been paying attention are all 20 covers entirely how many of them are optional or are opt-in covers uh i don't think i don't think it's optional in that way i think there's something there's some weird math like 12 covers are available um to all retailers and then there's a lot of additional covers that are specific to specific retailers mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. I but th- yeah, I but sure. I don't think there's different order codes for the different covers, if that's what you're asking. Mm, okay. But it, yeah, so I mean, like, for example, like Hibbs would say that, you know, with the ex- with the exception of the three at the end uh, or of the Walking Dead 100 covers, the, ma- the vast majority of them were like, he's like, I could order 100 of the wraparounds or I could order 20 of the wraparounds, 20 of the quietly, 20 of the blah, blah. You know, and he's like, I could mix and match it. If somebody wanted to order all of them, I could offer that as a, you know, I could sell that to a specific customer. But, you know, the majority of the way that Marvel and DC offer their discounts, it's like you, there are variant covers. You have to order a certain number of copies to get them. Yeah. So, you know, somebody who, you know, if you had a crazy collector who wanted all of them, you had to, you know, buy an absurd number and either have him cover the difference or charge him the, you know, a price that would allow you to still remain profitable, blah, 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 blah. 
all of that is beside the point. I mean, to me, I had that same thing of like walking. My feeling is, is that walking dead was still doing a, you know, there's still to me a difference between an, a, a book that has run, you know, a hundred issues. Yeah. That's, that's the weird thing that's in my head as well. Like it's almost mm-hmm. as if walking dead earned it <laughs> in a yeah. way that ultimate Avengers didn't. And I, that, but when I say it, part of me is like, that's just ridiculous. Well, but, I mean, is it? Because that's the, to me, Graham, it's kind of that idea of, like, if you're celebrating 100 issues of one comic in this marketplace, A, that's pretty impressive. B, if it's 100 issues that is by really close to the same creative team that started out the book, you know, that it's essentially, what, four-fifths or three-quarters of the same creative team. You know, it's like the artist swapped out seven issues in, but like the, the number of issues that Charlie Adlard himself has done and the number that Kirkman has, has, in other words, it seems to me that there is, it feel, even though it is probably just absolutely mercenary, um, you know, shilling to the OCD types, it still at least feels like it is um, celebrating something that is worthy of being celebrated or a milestone that's worth stoning for a mile. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be. Whereas like uncanny Avengers means nothing, you know, it, it just means something because they say that it means something, you know, and, and that's about it. And to prove that it means something, they're going to figure out ways to force you to act as if it means something. And then they're going to turn around and trumpet it as if it actually means something. But we all know that it doesn't. It's like this weird thing of like, if they can force this symptom on the marketplace, then they can turn around and say that the the marketplace actually has the disease of success. I don't. Uh, no, my, no, I know. My metaphor mixing is crazed today. I apologize. But but I totally understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You 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 didn't lose me, even though you went some crazy places. <laughs> um. And I, th- I think you're right. It's just, I don't know. I feel so conflicted about variant covers anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just the idea. Uh, yes. No, it's just the idea that you can earn 12 covers. Right. It's, it's kind, kind of, of like, really? Mm-hmm. No, you mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I am simultaneously really happy that Walking Dead beats Uncanny Avengers in sales. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Me like, I, I want, I, I was they're not going to but I want Marvel to learn the lesson it doesn't matter if you completely fucking bury people in covers it does not automatically translate into bigger sales right but at the same time then look at you know AVX which has had what six covers every issue Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm at least well I mean (laughs) I mean that's it I mean Marvel I don't see how Marvel could could necessarily learn that lesson considering they're stepping off of what appears to be a huge success with avx and basically you know as far as i can tell they managed to give their book away onto the charts you know what i mean at least with that first issue so but again that's is what if it ends up being and it won't but what if it ends up being some version of what happened with defenders Mm-hmm. You know where Defenders issue one was overshipped by what hundred percent, right? And then the next month lost eighty five percent of its sales. 
Yes. I'm sorry. I was jumping back to talk about the first issue of Avengers versus X-Men that they where they really were rapidly giving it away just because I, and I think you're right. Defenders is actually a really good example of more often than not what happens is is you like I think Avengers versus X-Men has taught if if they're going to learn anything from it, it's that you've got to fake it all the way through. You can't just do the Defenders number one. It's going to be so awesome that it's got a chart. We're going to force it to chart. Hey, and now that it's out there, look what happens. And what happens is it, it kind of hits like a pretty solid fucking stone, you know. Um, the, whereas Avengers versus X-Men, as far as I can tell, managed to keep a certain number of its quote unquote sales up over the course of 12 issues. And part of why they did that was by promising by having something to try and promise at every fucking angle. I mean, you know, if it wasn't alternate covers it was, and free digital downloads, it was the fucking infinite comic and the goddamn scanner. And, you know, like they did, they did everything, but like came to your house and made out with your mom if you bought the sixth issue, you know? So, I love how for you that is a sales enticement. My mom's very lonely. <laughs> She's a very lonely woman. <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> it's just the way you came closer to the mic there. That was kind of disturbing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, but I, I don't know. It's just... Didn't Avengers vs. X-Men actually go up in sales? I Well, see, this is it. I, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that you will, like, jump... Use your magic ice uh, I'm I'm going to use my magic. I'm looking for Paul O'Brien. Yeah, there we thing. go. Because I'm fairly sure it did. I think it did too. And that's the thing that I find sort of alarming. Or rather that sort of, you know, that that goes the opposite of the the lesson that they should learn or something. That compared to Defenders number one, which crashed to the earth. Avengers versus X-Men, they so heavily seeded the, the stores with the first issues and then continued to maintain at every level, hammering home again and again and again. I mean, hmm, this is, I guess this is what bothers me is, is that, you know, nine months ago, year ago, a year ago, you had people like Axel Alonso saying that the message that they were getting from the readers was the idea that the readers wanted storylines that quote unquote mattered. And the thing that drives me nuts is it seems as if Avengers versus X-Men within the universe mattered very little. Like that, the, That's the, the whole thing. They were sold as like, you know, this really matters. And to be honest, outside of the death of Professor X, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. get to the end and they're really, I was actually thinking that as I was reading the final issue. I was like, do you remember mm-hmm. when this launched and people were actually seriously suggesting that, you know, this will bring back Miracle Man or mm-hmm. they're going to do all these big things. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, so the only thing that really genuinely happened was Professor X died, which has happened six times before. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, hang on, I actually have to find you this Newsarama uh, review just for, I think, like, I'll read to you and you'll laugh. Um, while I'm doing that, though, according to um, Paul O'Brien, mm-hmm. uh, as of July sales, which are the most recent I can find on the beat. Avengers vs. X-Men uh, ha- went up with issue 5 and otherwise has been falling. Okay. okay. So let's see. Does he say what the what, what the latest issue on, on his chart? Issue uh, 8 is the latest issue. 
And it's selling at what eighty five thousand? No, one hundred seventy four thousand. So oh God, see, so it's really yeah, attention. it's really big. So I mean, that's that's big. I mean, that really is. That is you know, um, almost twice what Fear itself was doing. And that's Here, here's incredible. the thing that I wanted to read from these Rama review, just because I was talking God. about how okay. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avengers vs. X-Men definitely changes the Marvel Universe in a big way, from the restart of the mutant race to the death of Charles Xavier, from Cyclops and Turd in prison, to Cap starting a new mutant-fueled Avengers team. And, of course, there were once again three little words spo- spoken by Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, no more Phoenix. And reading that, all I can genuinely think is, like, none of that really matters. Do you know what I mean? Like, really not, no, it, is, no, is it absolutely. just me? Have I just been reading comics too long that none of it matters? Because, like, the restart of the mutant race to me is a resumption of the status quo. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Right. And mutants in the in the Avengers, you know, that's been there since issue sixteen. Right. Of the original yeah. series. Of the original series, yeah, back in 1960-something. In fact, there's something that is deeply, now that you mention it, I'm like, wait a minute, Captain America totally headed up a team that was oh, like, like 50% <laughs> mutant or something like that. Yeah, like, exactly. If, if there's anyone that could say that he was at the forefront of trying to foster human-mutant relationships, uh, it would be Captain America. Like, I can't even believe, like, there's just like that classic, like, six minute. they should really just market test or something like run this shit by someone because it is like i you know i just feel like oh okay so that actually managed to withstand non-scrutiny for what 20 minutes now i just i'm stunned like that is so stupid i mean there was no phoenix before the event and now there's no phoenix after the event and charles xavier was entirely absent from the marvel universe before the event and now he's Totally absent after the event. That's just it. Like, it, all their big stuff doesn't mm-hmm. feel big because it's resetting to the way it was before the event. Because mm-hmm. Xavier hadn't really been an active force in the X-Men books in the longest fucking time. Right, right. And so losing him doesn't really do a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Phoenix mm-hmm. was brought back for this event. And they don't even destroy the Phoenix. They just send it away. Right. Which is like, what kind of asshole maneuver is that? If you think about it, so it can just go into space and destroy some other planet. I wasn't it. Isn't it destroying planets? I mean, did they even get into that? That whole infinite. Uh, no, it wasn't the infinite comic. The the Marvel point one didn't it have the whole deal where it shows the Phoenix yeah. leaving some planet that it's ravaged. And then there's like a plant growing or something like that at the end yeah, of it. Or... But that's that's the thing that's echoed with the last panel in, in Avengers vs. X-Men. That it's left, and now here's new growth. It's the same thing. It's just... Uh, it is, in the words of Kate, weak sauce. <laughs> I'm always a big fan of that phrase. Uh, yeah, it's it's really weak sauce. and there. But again, there's this weird concept of... The, the Marvel, again, what I worry about is Marvel's going to walk out of this thinking that that the only thing that people buy are books that quote unquote matter. And the corollary is, is the only books that matter are the books that Marvel edit, that Marvel says matters, you know, that, and by say, it means they really have to, they really have to say it with some enthusiasm. They, it, which means 
20 variant covers and i mean it's just all uh it's really depressing did did you read the grantland excerpt of sean house book speaking of depressing except the opposite yeah oh my god i swear to god i mean really was that not just the i'm getting this book the second it comes out I wanted to weep. I just reading those two pages, those two pages of Grantland were like, I was like, Oh my God, this is kind of the, it was, it was like someone was like, had figured out like the, the special like killing maneuver that kills you with pleasure. You know, like I just sat there, like, I think I might've been drooling openly. The fact that that's that thing opens, like it mentions, um, Starlin Englehart, Don McGregor and Steve Gerber, like in its like quasi introductory paragraph, like all but had me like weeping like that. Like I know people say like, oh, that's the book for me about certain things. But goddamn, if I can't figure out how Sean Cleefield's book is not literally the book for me, you know, I just Sean Ho, hmm. first of all, Sean Ah, Cleefield to someone else. Um, Yeah, it looks amazing for everyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. Um, Sean Howe's written a book called Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, which is essentially the history of Marvel, I think from like Fantastic Four, right? I don't think it goes back that much earlier than that. No, uh, I think, yeah, it starts with the Marvel age. All the way through fairly recently, because I've definitely seen excerpts where he's talking about Marvel turning into Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Grantland excerpt was just, it was very short. It was like two pages. Um, yeah. Talking about essentially Marvel in the 70s and how Starling got his start and how um, Steve Gerber got his start and the complete disaster that was Marvel's attempts to woo women um, yeah. and was just absolutely great. But the reason I brought it up was the comments about killing off Gwen Stacy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Stan immediately going back on on approving it and pretending that he wasn't in the office even though he was um and you've got roy thomas and jerry conway both being like i can't believe he hung us out dry like that and then more or less being like yeah but that's done right well okay so the thing that's actually really funny that that you know is like total nerd thing like it'd be really amusing to print out that article and give you and i like highlighters and let us highlight the stuff that we didn't know before reading it. Because that's the thing. The thing that actually is terrifying to me is that I, I of course, knew a majority of that stuff. But but even in the course of, like, two pages, like, if that's not interesting enough to you, I love the fact that actually someone compares Gwen Stacy to Stan Lee's wife. Which yes. I thought was a Holy shit, brilliant. and then Storm as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like... The- Oh, then they're basically like, yeah, Stanley just keeps creating his wife in comics. Yeah, yeah, and she's like this blonde, unbelievably passive character that everyone talks about. Like she does things, but you know, it's really like, you know, she kind of doesn't. So you know, I, it's 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 great. I mean, I thought that that was like just uh like you know, it's like oh man, that totally pins it down now i know that there's actually a lot of people that would say that that's not entirely the case with the stuff that happened with sue storm uh as as she developed i don't 
which I wouldn't buy. Like Sue, Sue Storm and Gwen Stacy, even even both being written by Stanley, you wouldn't necessarily mistake the two for one another. But I think there's such a really good case being made there. There's so believe me, Graham. So many sections of this thing blew my mind. Whether it was talking about the you know various acid trips that. Engelhart, Starlin, Milgram, and Alan Weiss would take and then stumble around all night in New York to the fact that, like, Roy Thomas's wife, like, was assigned to write one of the feminist books and basically came back and was like, I'm divorcing you. You know, I mean, just, like, all sorts of, like, the shit that I did not know on here, there was so much just great stuff. It really like, it really was just like, have you been following his Tumblr? Because it's yes. is just spectacular. Just yeah, yeah, up exactly. Stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it really, I don't know, there's something about that that also underscored the whole, Marvel's never really been in the concept of doing anything other than what they think can sell and get attention, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, like right. as much as we're like, oh my God, Marvel's terrible now. It, Marvel's always been terrible. It's just that I think the edge, well, the edge of terrible has, got, has moved. Well, I guess what I would do is I would change, I, I would, I would change that uh, uh, to a certain degree and say Marvel's intentions were always to be terrible. It just sometimes was too incompetent to actually be terrible and therefore could be brilliant. You know, like there really is a lot here that is that uh, that has that, that, you know, it to me is a very crucial point of things, which is Stanley nails down the fact that. It is supposed to be about the illusion of change. And he mentioned it earlier, but he so totally didn't um, have the time or the attention span to make sure that that illusion was in place. And instead, what you got were guys who were literally, you know, moving those goalposts, who literally took the idea of Marvel Comics and tried to tried to make it a reality and it was a very short period of time. And and if nothing else, I hope that if this book really does it makes a it makes a really good case for Roy Thomas, you know, as being so instrumental in creating part of what we think of or at least what I think of as a, as sort of my beloved era of Marvel Comics has really as much to do with what Thomas and the people that he hired were trying to create not as much as a misguided understanding of what Stanley and Marvel Comics were, but like I guess behind the veil, like trying to approximate it while doing things behind the scenes on it. Mm-hmm. You know I, I mean? I, something I really loved from the article was essentially Roy Thomas or someone saying on behalf of Roy Thomas that he didn't ultimately care what was in the books as long as the books were good and on time. Right, which, which I think that... just feels very alien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was that was what Engel that's that is I think that was Engelhart being quoted in, in the interview and uh, in the article and it's certainly something that Engelhart has said. Yeah, I've I've read it before. I think I've read it in an mm-hmm. alter ego interview with him, but it's it's just feels very uh all inclusive of creativity and mm-hmm. not having a specific taste or style for mm-hmm. your for your cohesive universe. That just does mm-hmm. not exist anymore at any publisher. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that I found fascinating was is the idea that in this article is when they talk about, because I didn't realize that the Goodmans had been essentially alienated and cast, you know, 
had been sort of maneuvered out of their position at Marvel Comics once they sold it. I didn't realize how much of them inventing Atlas what sounded like it was designed to kind of fuck over Marvel. Oh, like it was oh, just for some reason I knew that and I can't even think why I knew that. Wow. I had no idea. I mean, I sort of knew that it was started by Goodman, but I sort of assumed that it was being done in a kind of like, you know, I can create more IP or he felt like he was being robbed of all the attention that Stan Lee was getting or something. I had no idea that it literally was as specific as like, fuck these guys that bought Marvel Comics and, and you know, screwed Martin Goodman's son out of his position. We're going to take this place down, you know? amazing to me and it's amazing that like stan lee was like writing memos to people like comparing it to world war ii and stuff i mean it's it's fucking genius stuff it really is it's like i i don't obviously i can't remember sean's last name to save my life but sean how if i was not if i was not already married i feel like that's like the reoccurring thing that i say in this podcast if i wasn't already married i'd marry this issue of hawkeye uh, or Sean Howe, or that listener, or my iPad, you know? I think you should I, marry all of them. I love I love that, be, actually, be, the, be the like pause. A, yeah, a, a Mormon, like, <laughs> a nerdy Mormon. Yeah, that's, mm, you know, if you can figure out a way to mix Mormon and nerds a little more heavily, we just need, like, a good name. I could probably, I would be behind that religion, I have to say. Uh, I'd be done with it. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we sorted that out yeah so yes people if you haven't read this grantland story do so although we should point out when you when this podcast comes out presuming it comes out in tuesday like it normally does that is the day yeah. of release of the book itself well that was going to be the other thing that i was going to say is is listeners as tempted as you might be to buy this for graham and i uh well, maybe you should do it. Graham probably would have bought it already, but I can't imagine. Have you bought it already? Maybe. I, no, because it's on pre-order, but I, I might. I might. I, if I, I still I, have. I completely asked for a free opinion drama today in the blog. <laughs> I know. I almost wrote it into the comments. I'm like, me too. Me too. Like, I was totally like riding that uh, train. Like, I, I, normally, I, I, I only I, comically I, begrudge you your freebie copies, but if you got a freebie copy of I, that, I, I would be. I, I, I don't think I will. I, the freebie copies went out the longest time ago. Yeah. Well, do you know anyone who has one? I would think that surely Douglas Wolf would be like sure, bicycling I'm, around your house reading it, it sure aloud to you. Has one, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You're in Portland. I'm willing to bet that the number of I like, just, I'm just going copy... to buy the book, Jeff. <laughs> uh, so you say. Anyway, so listeners... Read the Grantland piece when you hear us, if you haven't read it already, and then get the book if you haven't bought it already. If you like this sort of thing that you uh, that we like, which sadly, uh, not sadly, gladly, uh, tends to be the thing that um, this podcast does. <laughs> which well, well, make... well said. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm really. Uh, I've just got. I've got a control of the English language here, Graham. I, I'm, I'm like a. I'm going to give you more control of the English language for a second. Uh, I got uh, a copy of Netsweek's Batman issue 13, which is the first part of Death in the Family, the storyline. Mm-hmm. I have not read it, but in glancing through it, I saw this exchange, and this exchange potentially soured me on reading the comic. Batman is standing over Commissioner Gordon. Over him? Yes, as in Commissioner Gordon is on the ground. 
looking okay. panicked by a man standing there. And he goes, Jim, it's me. Where's the Joker? Where? Says Commissioner Gordon. He's gone. What did he say, Jim? And this is the part that I was like, oh God, this is horrible. The response is, he told, he told a joke. Oh God, Batman, he told a joke. <laughs> that that's 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 an entire page an entire page of the comic oh yeah oh god oh you pacing pacing bastards well you know i have to say this is one of those weird things like normally when i read a book i'm i'm like mr like yeah i nine times out of ten i do it for the the writer I've defended my my Batman. Um, I know purchasing doing it for Greg Capullo, and to be yeah. fair, looking through it, Capullo is is on, as the saying goes. Yeah, I I mean that doesn't necessarily justify it when it's a when it's a crap comic in many ways, but there is part of me is like, I gotta admit, I'm looking forward to the motherfucking comic, even though I'm gonna feel a motherfucking embarrassed by it, and b appalled that I'm spending motherfucking three ninety nine on it. You know. Um, Speaking of which, Action Comics. I haven't read it. Like I said, the, uh, the Avengers comics are the only actual comics because I spent the rest of the last night reading the Now of Brown. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, Talk to me about Action Comics, though. Uh, action Comics, I, I wanted to get your take on it because it was one of those, like, I'm not sure how I feel about it because it's, it's one of those, like... Um, uh, it's 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 uh, it's an action comics that it's a Superman story that's a Halloween issue, um, and I don't want to give too much away, but uh, well, okay, the the main conceit that I will be giving away, but I'll, I'll withhold some some other information is is the idea that what people think of as ghosts in this world have been essentially the Kryptonian convicts in the Phantom Zone, you know. Um, so it's, it's starts, you know, it's got, you know, Superman essentially being haunted, um, in the fortress of solitude. And then where it goes from there has varying degrees. It's, it's literally titled the ghost in the fortress of solitude. Uh, and it was, it, it was one of those Grant Morrison experiences where it felt incredibly slapdash um there was an argument to be made that at least he wasn't wasting my time like there really was a way in which i was like wow this could have been like like just about anyone else would have taken all the ideas and the the go points for it and at least turned it into a two-parter if not like an actual six-part story Mm -hmm. um and morrison pretty much gets it done in you know his whatever 22 pages and then he's got you know Sholly fish does a backup story that is related but but not as much of a you know here i'm actually wrapping up the story thing you know yeah he's got his little grace note that he's most of the time he's done so uh, between that and the art which was by travel foreman um i was very i was just very torn you know because i'm like because it had a lot of the things that I like, but not really in a way that I like them, I suppose. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like if someone served you a meal of all your favorite stuff, but only managed to cook half of it, you know? Yeah. You'd be kind of like, hmm. So I was hoping to find out if you had the same same feeling, but... I have but not. I did not read. Sorry. 
That's not a worry. So maybe we should talk about the other book that, that you read before I... Um... Let's, because I want to start yes. with this. Jeff Lester got me a birthday present, because Jeff Lester is lovely. And that birthday <laughs> present was The Now of Brown, which is a graphic novel by Glyn Dillon, who is really whose name is really familiar to a certain generation of people, namely people who read Deadline in the 1990s. Um, mm-hmm. Because Glenn Dillon, who is the younger brother of Steve Dillon, um, came up through Deadline. He had Planet Swerve and another strip in there that I can't remember the name of. Um, mm-hmm. And he went on to do some vertical stuff, but not a lot, mm-hmm. um, before pretty much disappearing from view. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he went on to be uh, an illustrator, concept illustrator for movies, but I could be wrong. Anyway, mm-hmm. he's back in comics with The Now Brown, which he's written and drawn which is about a woman called Now Brown, that's N-A-O, um, who is half Japanese, half English, lives in England with her mother. Or lives in England because her father left for Japan. She doesn't live with her mother. Um, and has obsessive-compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. But instead of, like, wacky OCD, she is OCD where she continually imagines herself hurting people including herself. And so you see that throughout the book. Um, You see her imagining, you know, running into kids who are in the street or stabbing people in the neck with pens. Or Mm -hmm. at one point she's on an airplane, you'd see her imagine opening the doors so everyone suffocates. Mm -hmm. And she grades that out of 10. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that she can essentially purge herself of those thoughts. The book is about her hunt for happiness which she believes will come through a man and a very particular man mm-hmm. and the, the 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 relationships the two of them have uh but it also ties in with the fact that she is attending classes at a buddhist center even though she doesn't self-identify as buddhism as a buddhist mm-hmm. and so that really plays into it she is a fan of anime and so that plays into it you see her basically have imaginings because she's an illustrator you see her imagining the story she wants to tell and so you get these spectacular sort of like two page four page excerpts of the stories in her head hmm. um it is just a, a blinding book it is really really good there are parts where the writing is not exactly spot on like it just stumbles a bit mm-hmm. uh but never so much that you're thrown off the thing is however it is the most beautiful comic that I've seen in the longest time. The art mm-hmm. is stunning to a point where it's almost disruptive. <laughs> I was reading the book last night and it took maybe twice as long as normal because I would just stop and look at pages. Mm. I would just be like, this I, this is amazing. Like this guy is quite clearly like his 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 it's all watercolor. That's not true. Mm-hmm. When when he's showing what now imagines uh for her illustrations of her stories, it's line work colored by computer. Everything else is watercolor. Um, and it's it's the most beautiful artwork. It is so... His line work is spectacular. His his character acting is, is amazing. I can only think that he had people act out and is working from photographs because otherwise he is the greatest artist. <laughs> um, no, it's just because his, his characters have such subtlety of emotion. Mm-hmm. Like, truly amazing subtleties hmm. uh, at, at every point. 
there there's not a point where you're you're like you know well you know he was obviously hacking out this page the whole thing all the way through it is just incredible work mm-hmm. uh yeah i i was i i was blown away hmm. i really was so yeah it's called the now of brown it's um published by self-made hero apparently distributed in america by abrams so I don't know if hmm. for whoever orders things from your store, that's easier to go through Abrams. Uh, right. It's twenty four ninety five. It is. Let me look at if there's a page count on the book, which I don't think. Oh, there is. Um, it is a two hundred and four page full color graphic novel, and it's just okay. just gorgeous. If nothing else, convince your store to buy one and just leaf through to look at the art. And put them out of business. Yes. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. I, I have to admit that, um, you know, I got it for you because it was your birthday. Uh, but I didn't really know about it before I saw it on your on your Amazon wish list. So um, it was kind of great to see see the little preview that you put up at Blog At. And those pages do look gorgeous. Um, oh, it's it's really, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 it's funny. So um, someone emailed me after I put those pages up in Newsrama, and their email was just "Wow." Mm-hmm. And as I told them, those aren't the best pages. Those are just the pages I could find that were large enough to put in Newsrama. Wow. Th- those those are nowhere near the best pages. Wow, that's amazing because they are they look gorgeous. Yeah, I I was I was stopping reading and going to Kate. I mean, like, just look at this page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All night. <laughs> I think she must have gotten bored because I must have done at least ten times. Mm. that I'd just be like seriously just look at this page just look at this look she's like yes yes oh it turned into like yes I get it it's a nice book yes I get it (laughs) (laughs) really I just yeah if only all comics were like the only thing and it doesn't look anything like this but the only thing Mm -hmm. I can liken it to is Jaime Hernandez Oh, interesting. In the interesting. subtlety of the character acting and just the right. overwhelming attractiveness of the art. Right. Yeah. The gorgeousness and the facility of it. Yeah. You know, I can, I, I sort of see when you say it like that, that's, that's quite interesting. Huh. Um, uh, I want to use that as a segue to talk briefly about pedestrian, if you don't mind. Please do. Um, Pedestrian is a book, a graphic novel self-published by Gordon Harris, who I don't know if he's a regular listener to the podcast. He was savvy enough to, to, to sound like he was, but he was also somewhat coy. He may just be an elliptical email writer. Anyway, he dropped me a note, uh, through our wait, what address asking, or maybe through the Savage Critic, Jeff at SavageCritic.com asking me if I wanted to see his, uh, his self-published, uh, book called Pedestrian. I said yes. He was kind enough to. Oh, actually, that's not what happened. Was he emailed me and asked me, and then a month later, having not heard from me, he asked me again, which was great because I had meant to reply, but of course, being me, had not. So, pedestrian is. Uh, he managed to get a copy in my hands. It is a sort of smaller size book with a glossy cover, full full color pages. I'm trying to think what the actual size is. It's a about this uh, it's it's bigger than than your typical volume of manga at least in terms of how tall it is um and then the number it's not this it's not actually paged 
but I guess it would feel it feels something like a maybe a 30 32 page story or something like that very very lovely work and very odd it's one of those situations where um uh um, you know, it's, it's funny. I have a, I have uh, my friend John Gersten who listens to the podcast always feels that you and I, Graham, never actually make a good enough point of mentioning that we're not in the same room, that we're actually in different states. Like, I, th- I feel like for the most part, if you listen to us long enough, I'll mention that you're in Portland and maybe you might mention that, you know, San Francisco. But for those people who who haven't caught on we Graham and I are actually in separate cities and there are times when I uh, wish apart from just being able to hang out uh that I we were in the same place so that we could pass um comics back and forth to one another while we talk about them uh or beforehand so because I really feel the Graham that you you'd quite like pedestrian it's a a really like it's very beautifully delineated um, the artwork kind of reminds me a little bit of um, of actually David Chelsea. Um, I'm sure there's probably other people that it might remind me of, but like David Chelsea or maybe a slightly less cartoony Rick Geary or David Boswell a little bit, you know, kind of just that very fine sort of pencil line that's not, not quite in the linear clear sort of school, but has like a very... Um, thin precise line that delineate that gives everything very close to the sort of the same weight and then he uses a lot of color to um to make the book feel real vibrant like i said for some reason it reminds me of when i see books that rick geary has done in in color in some ways and it is a very loose post-apocalyptic novel the apocalypse has essentially happened but it's almost it it's almost more like the the apocalypse that that Meredith uh Burgess Meredith was hoping for in that one Twilight Zone episode in that everything has sort of disappeared uh all the people have disappeared um and so you've got a guy in a bellboy outfit sort of wandering around uh New York in the first part of the book like with a portable chair and table and taking it and setting it up in various locations to, to drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and sort of think about the various uh, times gone by, essentially. Mm-hmm. And in the course of things, as he um, ends up, he ends up finding a package in the middle of the street that has an address on it. And so he decides to deliver the package out into the country to this one house um, and doesn't find anyone there, but then actually does end up bumping into another person. So, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, I, um, like if you could imagine, like if Jim Jarmusch had tried to direct an episode of Lost, basically, you know, it's it it's got all these like huge, big, juicy plot hooks but for the most part, it ignores them to show little quiet moments about sort of the passage of time and the ruminations of the of the characters and their interactions. And as they talk, you find out essentially more that every apocalypse has happened kind of at once, you know, um, and they're not really sure ultimately what did end up taking out the rest of humanity as far as they know it, because there's essentially so many possibilities um, mentioned by one another throughout the book. Uh, and then toward the end of things, they encounter a third person 
and then at the end some guy who looks like uh elric pops you know cuts his way out of uh what it looks like a porta potty to me but is you know i'm probably missing the the actual reference like it's probably some uh, i don't know it's probably not an outhouse but he essentially cuts his way out of an outhouse with a big black sword and everybody introduces themselves to him and essentially they shake hands and then somebody goes that tea sounds really good now and the other person goes it sure does so it seems like a very Graham McMillan book to me, you know? No, it's, like, it I'm sounds kind of like, like a very Graham McMillan book to me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's lovely to look at. It's, it's very, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's got the skills in some ways to sort of overcome its tweeness. But at the same time, as much as I loved it, there was I also kind of felt like, it, it felt like a project that stopped. I'm not really sure that it gave me enough of, uh, you know, that Barton Fink feeling that I felt like I, I was really totally hooked. But it is a gorgeous book. And I don't know, I, I, I feel bad because I feel like we already missed SPX or something like that. But I, I kind of feel like Gordon Harris, people should keep an eye out for him. Let's see if there's any sort of form of contact information that I can give other people about it he's strikes me as far too um self-effacing to have actually done that uh yeah you could probably search on the web for his name gordon harris and pedestrian and he's self-publishing it under collide i am a scope comics i am yes? doing so right now you can definitely order it from amazon oh good uh here you go and also if you go to pedestrian.net Mm-hmm. It looks like you can uh, get a preview, you can buy it, and there's also something called Pedestrian Swag, which takes you to, oh, a Zazzle store where you can get t-shirts and mugs and stuff. Ah, perfect. So, yeah, it's it's a very um, it's a very little, unique little experience. I was really glad, oh my god, and it's 60 pages, not 32, which shows you again that I can't count. Um and Gordon is, he's in Annandale, Virginia, so I would assume that he would hit SPX and some of those other big shows, but people should try and, uh, I think if you like that very, very offbeat experience and you like discovering what a really quality printed book from somebody who I think has, uh, you know, a, has a lot of chops, um, and I would be really curious to see where what he's going to produce next. I definitely think uh, you should check out Pedestrian. It This reminds me, and it, it's not something I've read recently, but just hearing you talk about it. Did you ever read Skyscrapers mm-hmm. of the Midwest? Midwest? Yeah. I, You know, I never did. By Josh Cotter? Is yeah. That, is that who did it? Um, no, I did not, actually. I uh, think you'd like it. I, I think I would, too. Were you put off by by the winning the isotope award and then yeah 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 uh it's really it's really good um if you can get the because i want to say because i know there's definitely single issues i don't know if the the book that came out from madhouse was a collection of the single issues or a reworking of it but the the book the the i think it's a hardcover book is really really worth checking out and i think you'd get a lot from it it was available digitally through comiXology i wonder if it still is um, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look now because I remember. I think I grabbed the free preview. Uh, da, 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 da. But yeah, it, it's oh. just there's something hearing you talk about pedestrian that made me think about it. 
Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, yeah, as as you aptly figured out, I was a little put off. Yes, Skyscrapers of the Midwest. It looks like there are four issues of it, as well as there's like two issue ones, which is kind of crazy. That's because maybe, the second issue one is something called, well, the second issue one is called issue one Big Day, and it's the free preview. Yeah, that's the free preview. I I apparently clicked, I apparently have that. Like I got the free preview, but I still haven't read it yet. So, and then there's the the four single issues. Anyway, um, hmm, uh, yeah, reading the descriptions of his work, and also, isn't he the artist who had spoken recently about some of his battles with depression? And by recently, I, I want to say like maybe nine months ago or a year ago. Uh, I do not know, but I also would not be surprised. I see. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, so some of the stuff that he said in talking about that, if I'm assuming that it is indeed the right person, uh, I've been meaning to check it out forever and still haven't. So um, so thanks, Graham. The fact that you've mentioned it. Oh, he also did Driven by Lemons. You know, I think I saw a, saw a, a review by Tucker Stone of Driven by Lemons that or maybe it was Jog, where I was just like, holy shit, that looks kind of amazing. Driven by Lemons is also available in Comixology, or at least the previews. Hmm. See, there we have it. This is the future, Graham. Like, you and I can, like, we, in the, you know, future episodes, we can just pick a comic book, download it at the same time. And, and read it. Read it in real time. Life. Yeah. That would be really funny. Here, let's go, huh, did you see? Yeah. What about, oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Oh, Okay. Wait, wait till you get to the... Oh! And then we're just like... <laughs> and that's our dramatic reenactment of reading a comic. That is just... Exactly. And scene. Interestingly enough, as far as I can tell, Driven by Lemons on Comixology is only... Only the preview. preview, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Huh. I don't know. I also... I realized I actually did read something else that came out yesterday. The Memorial sequel that is only available digitally. Ooh, which interesting. Uh, it, it's an interesting business model, if mm-hmm. as much as anything else. So what is Memorial, as you know, was the six-issue series by Chris Roberson and Rich Ellis that came out from mm-hmm. EW, which I really, really liked. Um, yes. And now they're doing a sequel miniseries through Comixology. What mm-hmm. it is, is it's nine 99-cent, eight-page issues. Hmm. Um, which at first, when I realized it was eight pages after buying it, I was like, huh, I feel totally gypped. And then it's like, but for 99 cents, that means you will eventually for two ninety seven have a 24 page comic. Right. Which, you know, when I think of it like that, it seems a much better deal for some reason, pages mm-hmm. for 99 cents really did make me go, what? Right. Uh, right. So yeah, digital pricing can be weird, apparently. Uh, yes. But it's, it's a nice expansion. Mm-hmm. the memorial universe i guess um mm. and strikes me very much as a conscious expansion if that makes sense like change from mm. a story to a this is a universe in which we can tell multiple stories mm. Uh, mm. and so yeah I, I i was i was kind of charmed by it and also mm. once i got over the sticker shock mm-hmm. i think i will like the idea of the eight page serialized storytelling Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things where you're, it's going to harken back to like the 2000 AD fan in me or something. Mm. 
because it's got a really nice cliffhanger. And I was like, what? Eight pages? What? A... But then I reread it. I was like, oh, okay then. You know, it is so funny. The, the, the digital, the thing about digital pricing is it's so all over the place that it really has everything to do with perceived value, doesn't it? Like, really? Um, I, it, like I have, cause money's been a little tighter for me over the last few months than, than normally, basically. Cause I'm trying to actually like cut down on some debt and, you know, be a little more money conscious and stuff. But I keep like, there've been at least three times where I've gone to the 2000 AD app and almost pulled the trigger on a subscription. And I'm just like, ah, but it's so, it's so expensive, you know? And I mean, it's, really a very good savings compared to you know what you than if you were buying it in print and yet for whatever reason um you know i i think i'm very spoiled because i well spoiled i don't want to say spoiled but on the other hand like for me like getting shonen jump alpha like part i guess that's part of this weird thing is is i keep wanting to uh do something like that with 2000 ad where Every Monday, all I have to do is remember to turn on my iPod and go open up the Viz app, and I get anywhere from between 100 to 160 pages of comics. And it's kind of great. It's something that I really look forward to every week. And all I have to do is just open it and download it. And it, it, it you know, the, but the Shonen Jump Alpha subscription was, is, you know, basically like a third, if not lower. Um, you know, maybe even a quarter of what what 2000 AD is asking for a year-long digital subscription. Mm. And so I just find myself like kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, but mm, God, I wish that price was just a little bit lower, you know? I, when... I find that all the time with, with uh, American comics. Last night mm. I was like, I kind of really want to catch up in Daredevil, but, but you know, it's three ninety nine digitally. Oof, and I yeah, just, I mean, just can't do that. But at the same time, I'm not sure why I can't do that, because it's not right. like I will be reading it any less. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird. It is. It's 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 a thing that I've had. Like, uh, I've had friends who've bought all the issues of Saga digitally, and they 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 like the book, but they'll tell me they're like, yeah, I was rereading the issue and. You know, it's it's just on my iPad. And I'm like, I really feel like I'm missing, like they're literally missing being able to hold the comic. And I, for me, of course, it's like this huge relief to not be have to worry about storing the motherfucking floppy. And yet, by the same token, um, you know, I wouldn't want to pay more than a dollar ninety nine for it digitally. You know, I I, I tend to bulk it at two ninety nine or up as a price point unless it unless the page count starts getting up there you know mm -hmm. it's it's kind of crazy you know i i wish i don't think i i'm actually kind of glad it doesn't isn't getting standardized anytime soon oh here's actually a great example based on your uh recommendations of it i totally had forgotten when valiant had its sale on comiXology a couple of issues back mm -hmm. um a couple of weeks back i bought the first two issues of harbinger um and read them this week and it, they were great like i really enjoyed them a lot like it was really like like holy shit between this and unknown soldier i'm like wow joshua dysart has become 
for me, really a writer that I'm going to have to start looking actively for his name on stuff because mm-hmm. I think he's he's good. And the, the I just enjoyed the first issue. Harbinger, we can we can talk about it more if you want. Uh, but the thing that, that the, the point that unfortunately is germane to our conversation is I read the first issue, was like, fantastic. Read the second issue, great. Then they had the third issue available digitally, and it was two ninety nine, and I was like, I, I just kind of can't do that. No, exactly. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know. It, it's I don't know what the the math is in my brain. Right. That lets me yeah. go. That's okay, and that's not. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean. It, at 290, yeah, I don't know. There is something, though, but it is very hard for me to, let's put it this way. Apparently, I really cannot spend 299 digitally for a 20-page a comic, you know, or, or however many pages that those are. Because, I mean, bless their heart, um, Valiant tried to, like, you know, it's like, oh, these are the digital editions, which just means, like, there's three pages of, you know, penciled art at the back or something like something that could not mean less to me you know but um yeah it's it's weird whereas on the other hand i think that bandette you know which had two issues and you know some dude was complaining about for only being like 13 pages a pop or something the art that was amazing you know that's i still think that that's a steal you know um, even though I think put together, you barely get more than a, your average 22 page comic. Well, but here's the thing. Is it, again, is this an entirely perceived thing? Cause you can't get it anywhere else. And because it is so outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a good question. Maybe part of it is, is outside the norm. I think honestly it, for me, uh, this the story and everything is enjoyable but colleen coover's art is fantastic and so for me the idea of like you're balking at paying 13 pages of colleen coover you know drawing this drawing amazingly and coloring her own work like are like just kind of like are you nuts you know what i mean like it just is it it it's weird like i think that's where the the perceived value is whereas for me as much as I like the Arden Harbinger, it was great. I mean, it's it's no Colleen Coover. I mean, you know, what is these days? But you know, I you know, it's it's kind of like there's these weird areas where it's like I pick up I don't know. I just I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's it's just funny because I would have to say that over the last nine months to a year, one of the things that have made me tear my hair out has been people complaining that digital comics are too expensive um when i'm like but there's all this amazing work out there and most of it's pretty cheap and then finding my still self still kind of going yeah it's 2.99 for you know for a digital comic like a digital issue like if batman the digital issues of batman are 3.99 now aren't they i i don't yeah know. on day of release yeah and then they go down to 2.99 after a week after a month, rather. Okay, after a month. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, believe me, if those things went continued to go down and bottomed out at a buck ninety nine, I'd be all over that. Oh, I'm sure they will. I hope so. I I don't know. I guess I should really look and see if they have. Right. I'm going to see how much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Action Comics number one is now at ninety nine cents. Is it? Action Comics number two is still two ninety nine though. Yeah. See, that's. 
that's the thing that kind of gets me. But eventually there will be a sale. That's the other thing. We made the joke last yeah, week about sure. waiting for the sale, and I I think that's completely valid. Mm-hmm. Eventually mm-hmm. there will be a sale. Well, this is what I find interesting because I know that I did this with Jennifer Blood. Is I bought all the issues in a sale, and then and this is probably what's going to happen. In fact, I'm I'm kicking myself now for not thinking of it. I should have gone to the comic store and picked up. I would actually pick up the physical floppy issues of Harbinger, uh, just like I picked up the physical issues of, of Jennifer Blood that they didn't, you know, have. Because mm-hmm. weirdly enough, then I'm back to this this idea of like, well, sure, I'm paying three ninety nine for it, but it's a physical comic, and in theory, even if I sell it for a dollar or two dollars, a blah de blah. I don't know. I don't know. Like. Listening to us talk about this, I'm sure people who have been, you know, torrenting their comics for like the last year are, are just, just like, laughing at us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what in the hell are you people talking about? Like, why are you even wasting your energy on it? But it feels like this important, like, I do want to pay people and I don't even want to. And I want to make sure that people get paid in a way that they can actually profit from it. But, you know, but at the same time, part of me is like, I can't, I just can't pay three ninety nine or two ninety nine for a 20 page big two comic at this point. You know, you're getting close to walking away from DC like you are Marvel, my friend. Well, that's it. It is kind of shocking to me that the number of books that I buy from DC, like I just haven't been paying attention, but there are, you know, most of them got up to three ninety nine. you know, and I, it's, it's kind of at least there's that tier structure in place so that they're not charging me for the books that I'm not reading. I don't know, Graham. I don't know. <laughs> so comics, everybody. Uh, should I should I do a quick rundown of yes. some of the other yes, books that do. I read? Yes, because yeah, you were smart and read lots of things as opposed to me being like, I have to read this 200-page graphic novel because it's so good. Well, that's great, though. I sort of I really envy that that sort of feeling. So, right, first two issues of Harbinger, quite good. Like, uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it really, like, normally when you've got comics with kids, with, with kid protagonists, they generally don't, it, the, the author usually ends up feeling like they're trying too hard to capture kid speak. Mm-hmm. Or, and I really felt one of the strengths of Harbinger were, for the most part, the three teen characters really feel like genuine teenagers to me. I mean, admittedly, the female character is still pretty heavily a cipher in the first two issues, totally. Which is but... kind of intentional as well, though, because exactly. He, exactly he fucks with her head. Right. So you don't really know who she is because technically he doesn't even really know who she is. So, but but I actually thought that the two young male teen characters did a did a great job of of feeling very much like real people and real people who were the age they were supposed to be now remind so, me where does that where does issue two end uh issue two ends with him being recruited okay. by by the, yeah. by the harada foundation or whatever it's called right exactly yeah exactly so um you know, and you 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 pretty much assume that you're going to see the two characters that he leaves in the dust behind. But that's you know, kind just, of why I was asking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't necessarily know where or how they end up doing. And interestingly enough, I, I didn't see the um, 
Oh God, the the what was the superhero movie that was made this year that Chronicle. wasn't the superhero movie? Yeah, thank you. I really got you know I haven't seen Chronicle, but it kind of the dis- people's description of it made me think of Harbinger. Um, also, in the sense that I got you know that Harbinger also has seen Akira a couple of times. You know, yeah. Uh, it, I, I got a very Akira-ish vibe off an American Akira vibe in a way that that was not a bad thing. Um, so I like that. I read the third issue of Amelia Cole in the Unknown World, and I was really happy that there are three issues of this book out. You know, I think I think Adam Nave and his team continue to do like a you know a really good job of of making a, a fun, interesting comic that that seems to be coming together nicely. I mean, I also think that um, you know. I, Adam was kind enough after last time where I was like, yeah, it's good, except for some things that kind of bug me and I think are some beginner mistakes. And he, he emailed me and was like, like what? And I, you know, ran it through the little series with him. And, I, you know, that it's a team that's really committed to growing their craft. And if nothing else, I feel the fact that they've got three issues out. Hopefully they're seeing the money that allows them to continue to create it. But it's a... Uh, it's it's a good it's a good fun book. It's something that I'm really glad is in the marketplace. You know. Yeah, it's something that I because I read it as well. Did it come out this week or last week? I I know that I, I read it, it at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I I I really like it. I have the feeling I might like it more than you. I, I have the feeling I may be more um, forgiving of its flaws because yeah, I, because I very, I definitely have a about it, yeah. a nice warm feeling when I finish it for one of a better way of putting it. It's something that I wish more people would read, if that makes sense. It's one of those things that you kind of think, you know, if you could make this people's first comics for a certain, right. for a certain demographic, I think mm-hmm. they'd get it. I think they'd get it in right. a way that people who are, you know, probably the traditional comics market would not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I, that's why I really hope that they keep at it because A, I think as they keep at it, the things that, that, uh, end up being sticking points for me. They're going to catch and fix as they just become more adept at at, at putting everything together. <laughs> and also, I think that it's going to be like if you can, it's going to be the sort of thing that yeah. But if someone were to pick up a trade of this, I could easily see that that like you said, that same sort of first comics person. I can see somebody this being a series that that somebody would really fall in love with as they're you know, as a series of trade paperbacks at a library. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. once it's, it's got the it's full very, of it. It is very gateway-ish. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's very charming. And mm-hmm. it's it's very um clear in its world building. Yes. And I yeah, I, yeah. I think those are qualities that would really do well with people who are not very familiar with comics. Because it mm-hmm. also has enough echoes with other things in pop culture. You can be like, okay, so it's magic. I understand magic because I know Harry Potter. Okay, so it's alternate worlds. I understand alternate worlds because whatever. I've seen Fringe. Do you know what I mean? Like there, right. there's enough things there mm-hmm. that that you can grasp it. But there's also yes. enough of itself that it doesn't feel like it's just, you know, stealing all these, these ideas and creating this Frankenstein monster. Yeah, exactly. That's the part of it that I really enjoy is is that it it has the the part that has me hopeful is is that the there it's a comic that is that is interested in telling this story 
and um, and is invested in these characters, not just kind of a like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we did a Harry Potter meets Fringe and then we all roll around in a, mon- a big money pit kind of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, see, I read uh, I read Black Kiss number three, which came out yesterday. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. I you know once I start picking stuff up, I'm I'm like I'm going to I you know once I committed to issue one, unless there's something so absolutely heinous. But that's it. After the did first you, issue, did you not see Black Kiss? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. I saw the. I read the first issue. I sort of thought the second issue was a quote unquote uh, improvement. Um, and then this third issue uh, was. I, I mean, it's just a mess. It and this one is a lot more of the like, like hey, maybe you guys missed the penis getting bitten off in issue one but you know or issue two or you know but here's like a here's they're gonna we're gonna have this one we're gonna have this person like guillotined while somebody is like doing them in the butt you know so i mean it's just getting i mean it's always at some level of absurdity it's just i'm stunned by how inert it continues to be like it really doesn't even this issue, which has less of that sort of strange, like I'm talking in a vague elliptical sense about the strange demon that is possessed, you know, Hollywood. And instead, I'm just, you know, showing, you know, Nazi orgies that end up turning into ridiculous amounts of bloodletting. I'm still like, there's still kind of a weird, yeah, but so thing going on. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm like so completely missing the point, which is, you know, chicken like being like, but aren't you horrified yet? Like I've already shown like, you know, donkey fellation. No, so too. Are you meant to be horrified? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I'm not saying in the sense of like, well, I was just turned on, but I was bored. Right. Like I, seeing that's it. That's why I'm like, mm-hmm. if the point of this is to horrify you, I think he's doing it so incredibly badly. Yeah, that's what. That's kind of how I feel as well. But yeah, I think that I think that Chicken is pushing like especially after that first issue, I felt like he, you know, as we as we talked about, un- unlike the first Black Kiss series that that sort of tried to titillate you and then kind of, you know, started fucking with you in a big way. Um Black the Black Kiss 2.1 really felt like right out of the gate it was like hey here's people being you know demon penis raped uh in a sinking titanic like you know aren't you horrified or like or aren't you amused and i feel like either one of those those things that chicken seems to be pushing for is ridiculously absent for me i it like this this issue i put it down and i was just kind of like i i just yeah i'm i i I'm not the right crowd for the book, which is interesting that I continue to keep picking it up. That's that's why I was so surprised. Because, I mean, honestly, issue one, I sort of got out of curiosity. And issue mm-hmm. two, I read because it was on the Image FTP for free. Because I would, I, like, I know I wouldn't have paid money for it. But I didn't even check on the Image FTP to see if issue three was there. I was just like, right. yeah, even for free, I'm done. Right, right. Which, I, which makes sense. Because I think you're just flat out bored and i don't know i guess maybe i'm kind of curious about it and i'm sort of like 
picking up the issues that I guess if I was a little more committed to uh, pirating books that I that I wouldn't buy anyway, you know, or even just sitting down and I didn't have the time to flip through it at the store yesterday because I was running around doing like a bajillion other things. But I guess if I had the time to actually just flip through it in the store, I would have, I've got sort of that level of curiosity of it, um, which is silly because I'm going to end up having like six issues that if, you know, I don't end up being put in prison for the new police state for, I doubt I'm going to be able to like, resell at a garage sale or something you know oh, i'd love to uh, try and resell that at a garage sale no <laughs> i would too my friend uh because you, you know the only the only person who would want to buy it is an 11 year old kid yeah you exactly. know because they're like they're like boobs and it's like no i can't let you do that to yourself child no boobs i'm like no and i will also will go to prison and they're like okay let me try this again mr boobs you know so and you'd be like listen just get real pornography because this this is just going to like you're just going to become messed up and not even for a right. reason you're going to be bored and messed up yeah bored and messed up uh the latest issue of fatal is out uh fatal number eight it's funny that it's such a strange um mirror image of black kiss in that it's got obsessions with demons and possible incubi and there's a hollywood backdrop although of course black kiss this latest issue was more about no i guess it did have that really horrific hollywood disney faux disneyland gang rape thing at the end uh fatal issue eight is keeps on doing its fatal like thing that i'm i enjoy so much more because i kind of feel like the current storyline which is set in like 70s late 60s early 70s sort of satanic tinged hollywood uh is is a timeline and a bunch of stories that that i don't know uh, speak to me you know what i mean and and brew baker and phillips are just doing a great job at telling a story whereas i feel of course that even it Chaykin, I, I honestly can't tell if he has no story or his his chops at delivering a story have just kind of fallen apart that badly. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because I know that John Kane over the Savage Critic site reviewed the first issue of Black Kiss 2 and seemed to like it. Well, I don't know, like it? I don't know. I, I, I would have to reread the article. But I really have this weird... Like, I think the thing that's hilarious about Black Kiss, which clearly I've somehow managed to escape talking about, uh, failed to escape talking about, is is that Chicken is a guy who, because I still haven't picked up American Flag, apparently has never worked for me. Even the even the issue of Monarch Starstalker. Star oh, can I talk about um, issues 7 through 10 of Star Wars? This would actually be a great segue. <laughs> Whoa, you mean the Marvel Star Wars? Yes, yes, because... Issues seven through ten are, are, are they... co-plotted and drawn by Chicken. Yeah, are they not um, the? Um, uh, they're the the Green Bunny episodes, right? They're the Magnificent Seven yes. issues. Yeah, yeah, the Magnificent Seven Seven Samurai episode. Okay, so here's the thing, Graham. Because like me, you only remember the Green Bunny. Oh but no, in... I, I I remember reading. It. Here's the thing: I don't remember it, but I remember rereading it and being like, "Huh, I don't remember any of this." Right. So I reread it, and I remembered, of course, the... Okay, so the thing that is really weird, like, it's not... 
it it could have been the most brilliant insane thing of all time and it's disappointing that it's not because you have the story is as you know han solo forming the seven samurai slash magnificent seven to defend a group of farmers against a a group of bandits now one of the people that he assembles is a green rabbit that is essentially Bugs Bunny in a spacesuit with blasters. But what I totally had forgotten was they have a kid called the Starkiller Kid. Jim, like you remember him, Jim Starkiller, the kid with the robot. Yeah. Okay, so as as we all know now, Luke Skywalker's original name was Starkiller. So. I wasn't aware that even as Chicken and Thomas wrap up Star Wars, Thomas's love of a weird analog in-joke leads him to use Luke Skywalker's original name to create a Luke Skywalker analog as one of the, the Seven Samurai. But, but wait, isn't, then, isn't there also an Obi-Wan analog? Yes, called Don Quixote. So instead of Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Don Quixote who has a lightsaber and a suit of armor and is convinced that he's a Jedi Knight long after the Jedi Knights have died out. So you have a Bugs Bunny analog. You've got a Luke Skywalker analog. You've got Don Quixote slash Obi-Wan Kenobi shout out. And then the guy that they're fighting is Sergio Aragones. (laughs) Okay, I I did not remember that. His it, the the bandit is this guy with this huge mustache called Sergei Arrogantix. No, so oh my God. yes, how could I have forgotten that? I don't even think I knew. I don't even think I recognized that. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, So they're fighting Sergio Aragones for reasons that escape me. He's the evil like bandit king who's got a huge mustache, uh, and then as if things didn't like mess with your brain enough, like. In one of the issues, like two or three issues in, Han Solo and his dudes are fighting the flying dudes who are flying, you know, the the evil dudes who are flying around on their magic sky bikes or whatever. There's this, like, shaman of the village who keeps insisting that he's the only one who can protect everyone. And he basically summons the creature that bursts out of this mountainside to protect everyone. And, of course, is a rampaging monster. It's Godzilla. It is an enormous lizard with like scales on its back and although it can't breathe flames, it shoots a beam of psionic power out of the center of its forehead. So what you're saying is this is quite clearly a comic that I need to reread because it is the greatest comic ever. Well, that's it. Part of me is like, Graham, I mean, I can understand why you forgot every bit of it because going into it, going into that last issue, it's like Bugs Bunny Sergio Aragones, Godzilla, Don Quixote, and Han Solo in a, a ripoff of the other Akira Kurosawa movie as opposed to the one that Star Wars actually ripped off. Like, you're just like, how can that fail? Like, honestly, I think they should have turned the Clone Wars into this five-page, this four-issue epic. Um, cause it, and, and honestly, it ends up being not especially good. So uh, <laughs> definitely, I, I suggest you reread it. Don't be surprised if you forget it like five minutes after you do. But at the time, I was reading it going, holy shit, I forgot fucking Godzilla was in here. Like, I was like you. I didn't recognize Sergio Aragones. And apparently, I didn't recognize Godzilla when he popped up and started shooting psionic beams 
out of his forehead to knock down, you, you know, to knock guys out of the sky while people are talking about womp rats and lightsabers and blasters. It's unbelievable, Graham. That I is really do. That I'm is like, spectacular. Yeah, it really is. It is. It is certified Graham McMillan spectacular. Clung clung. Um, which actually, that reminds me. Hold on a second. Oh, I should have known. Yeah, I didn't think to do it before, but. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so I read that, um, and and it kind of wait. Okay, here's uh, the question: Why did you read that? Was it in a was it in a comicsology sale or something? Yes. There. There. Well, no. Um, Star Wars is carried by Dark Horse, of course. So uh, on a Dark Horse oh, sale okay. about six months ago, I picked up the first of the Star Wars Omnibuy. Or maybe it was, you know, around Christmas, they usually have one sale where they mark their stuff to 50% off. So Because there's some great stuff. There's some terrible stuff in there. But it's the yeah. second Omnibuy that has the um, spectacular uh, uh, Simonson run. Yes, which I ended up checking out of the library for you and uh, way back when and enjoyed it. And then this first omnibus was there and it was it was pretty cheap. So I was like, uh, why not? I'll have some fun sort of like reading it on nights where I'm just kind of hanging out with nothing to do. And honestly, I have to say those four issues with the giant bunny and Godzilla and Sergio Aragones kind of made it worth a purchase for me. It really did. I was I was glad that I, I picked it up and read it. On a similar note, uh, Axe Cop 3, President of the World, was kind of great. Um, I know it's not the sort of thing that you dig, but there was there was a point at the ending of it where I was like, it it was just so brilliantly um, Silver Age Superman stuff. Like it, it really, honestly, to me, seems to be. I I don't really know if that it it, it perhaps um, proves what you've kind of always said and not liked about it that that maybe Ethan Nicole the the grown up it has is is using his brother as too much of a smokescreen to make sort of faux naive crazy stuff, mm-hmm. but. I was actually really amused that this story had the classic, like, oh, my God, the aliens have come up with the perfect, like, attack that is going to make, you know, everyone Earth stab themselves and blow up. And then the way that that gets reversed on everyone, it's, I don't know, man. It's like, I know you don't, I know Axe Cop doesn't ring your chimes, but for me, like, every issue of it is kind of like what I think I'm going to end up seeing when I sit down to watch a Michael Bay movie. Um, and usually more often than not, do not. So Axe Cop 3, President of the World, was great. I met Dylan Cassard yesterday, who uh, is a guy who listens to us. I wish I had been smart enough to um in fact why did this computer suddenly turn off he he and uh, a group of people he lives here in san francisco Mm -hmm. they do a podcast which i'm probably going to have to mention in the show notes because i can never get it right if i don't have the name right in front of me i think it's something like the comic book crew they're also currently doing a kickstarter interestingly enough to to raise the money very a very affordable Kickstarter, I should say, to to raise the money for them to get new recording equipment, um, because they've had some problems being able to actually uh, record interviews mm-hmm. with people. Let's see if I can. Unfortunately, Dylan also is self-effacing enough so that I, even if I were looking up his Twitter account, 
I wouldn't be able to tell you the name of the, let's see, maybe I've got it in here. Sorry, everybody, and especially sorry to you, Grandma. I continue to... You should be sorry, sir. Crew. I, I am. Uh, he's part of the Comic Book Crew podcast, um, which is, you can find them at comicbookofthemonth.blogspot.com. Uh, I should say that although Dylan was kind enough to lend me his House of Mystery Showcase Volume 2, um, this was not a paid for announcement. I don't, you know, he just, he seems like a good guy. I've not you, you can't buy podcast. Jeff is what we're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man, is I'm still legit. Uh, that being said, House of Mystery, the sh- volume three, he was kind of like, hey, you want to see it? It's got some amazing Alfredo Alcala art in it. And I was like, yes, because after the, the amazingness that is daddy cool. And Graham, I have to say, there's some amazing shit in Volume 3 of House of Mystery. If people are looking for just really weird, insane stuff, I mean, not only is it is there, like, they've got, like, one-page fill-in pages by, of course, Sergio Aragones, um, but Michael Fleischer does a script, like, the second story in this book, which is as far as I got, uh, is called... What is it? You, this, the, everything about this story is genius. It's called, Oh Mom, Oh Dad, You Sent Me to Summer Camp and I'm So Sad. It's Alex Nino Art and it's Michael Fleischer, oh, I'm sorry, and Maxine Fabe. And it is a story about a kid who goes to summer camp and is caught between what appears to be homicidal kids at summer camp who appear to be nothing but evil and are in the process of killing off the camp counselors and these insane and, and kids who are also in the process of disappearing um, with the camp counselors covering up their disappearances. So basically this kid is torn between these clearly psychotic seeming summer camp attendees who insist that in fact it is the camp counselors who, although pleasant, are actually aliens planning an invasion of the Earth. Now, as if all of that wasn't weird enough, Alex Nino draws all the kids like they're four years old. Like they're tiny, tiny little children. I don't know why he decided to do this. I mean, it undercuts the story so dramatically to have all these small, little, you know, big-headed children looking at one another, like all but saying goo and ga. And and in the next page, you have them like cutting camp counselors with knives. But because the counselors are adults and these kids are drawn like they're four, they're like stabbing these guys in like their kneecaps, essentially. It's the most insane derailing of an already insane and derailed story that um, that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why other people apart from me and Dylan Cassard would actually want to see this, but it was kind of fucking awesome. So uh, I'm just kind of actually making my way into that. Uh, I'll I'll let you know if there's other stuff, but let's let's just say the various stuff that I've been pouring through the Vampirella archives, searching for, mm-hmm. I'm finding so far in abundance in the House of Mystery Volume Three Showcase, which also has some really lovely art by uh, Bernie Wrightson and uh, William Kaluta. Oh, speaking of which, did I mention that Phantom Stranger somehow has a cameo in that Action Comics? No, but I was actually going to bring up Phantom Stranger just now. Phantom Stranger really? as Judas? Yes. 
Well, you assume. Let's see if I can find the reference. Because he says something where it's kind of a beautiful, like, oh, God bless you, Grant Morrison. Um, because he's, he's like, been trapped in the, the Phantom Zone and stripped of his stuff uh, in part so that people can use his powers to break out of the Phantom Zone. And... Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, he's the one who who does most of the expositioning as the Phantom Stranger is good. Oh, for he says, Superman asks, who are you, stranger? And he says, a foolish man who walks in an endless road, a man who took the silver and betrayed the gold. And I'm probably Oh, like, spectacular. Isn't it? I was like, God damn, like Grant Morrison really has that thing of like, he's like, like you put forward an idea and it's really dumb and he, he'll like go away for like 45 minutes and come back and be like, okay, well I, I've got a way that maybe it doesn't really work, but I've got a way that will convince you that it's working. Yeah. May, maybe it'll work. Um, yeah. So, I was going to bring up Phantom Stranger because I also got the first issue of that from DC. Mm-hmm. Not the zero issue, the first issue. Oh, the first issue. Two things I want to say. One, mm-hmm. it appears the entire point of the Phantom Stranger series is that he is going to recreate DC Comics characters for the New 52. Oh, no. Issue 0 sees him create the Spectre. Issue 1 sets up Raven and Trigon from Teen Titans. No! Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Uh, you'll be happy to know he does get another piece of silver after he does so. No! Number 2. The art team for this is Brent Anderson doing pencils and Philip Tan doing inks mm. it is gorgeous <laughs> you know i thought the zero issue looked lovely uh which hibbs was kind of like really and i but oh, i thought that it, was anderson and someone wasn't it yeah it was under, i might just have been anderson it wasn't with philip tan but philip tan does some it it's weird it kind of looks like what if neil adams was inked by bill sinkevich Good lord. It's really... I, people are going to see this and be like, no, it doesn't. But um, <laughs> there's something about the line work that's very Sienkiewicz, but also very, very Adams, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cross-hatching. There's a lot of uh, like really nice, sensitive line work, which mm-hmm. when, you've got, when you're doing it over Brian Anderson, who's you know a fairly solid penciler anyway, mm-hmm. it's a surprisingly nice-looking book. The wow. colors are just a little bit too garish. That's kind of true of every single DC Comics these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really kind of surprisingly nice, if terrible, book. Wow. Wow. Huh. So it looks lovely, but but man, I can't believe that. Boy, that kind of sucks. The the whole like cre- create a, a mystical hero or villain in the DCU and get one piece of silver back it's terrible it's a terrible idea you know what i mean it's like the phantom stranger has become like a cigarette machine in reverse or something you know that's that's actually it says that at the very start (laughs) his origin (laughs) i do like that he says uh, at the start i know everyone the no one was me i am the phantom stranger and it's the logo for the phantom stranger uh, I, I love when comics do that. I, I do. I love that stuff too. I I do too. Um, shoot, man. 
Well, uh, so do you have any theories? Like, how long does this series go on? Do you want to figure out who else he he, he creates? I really don't know who else, because that really took me by surprise when I was like, oh, holy shit, it's Raven. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Who else do you think Dan Didio really likes? I don't know. Necron? I yeah, I was going to say, it's, go, it's going to have to be some supernatural character, isn't it? That That's right so far. Yeah. Um, Blue Devil's already slated to come back. Hmm. Um, Dead Man's already been Felix recreated. Faust? Felix Faust. Does anyone ever really dig Felix Faust? Hey, he killed off the elongated man in, in 52. Oh, right. But that was kind of like he was there, it's, but he was there. Happens to be there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's sort of like such a, like, I could, you know, it just seems like that seems like such a weird piece of Mark Wade Caprice. Like, oh, yeah, Felix Faust, you know? I don't. I I gotta admit, I would bring back Felix Faust if there was a character named Oscar that I could pair him with, and they could be like roommates. <laughs> oh my god, that would be spectacular! Yeah, I would totally. That's the only reason why I've ever wanted to ever think about Felix Faust was just to be able to do some weird supernatural odd couple analog with him. That that then that's part of what drives him to evil or something. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Oh, boy. You know, Graham, I I wish I was, like, industrious enough. I'd like, come on, just do a couple more bars of that, and we can turn it into a ringtone. Like I, I honestly can't remember ringtone. what happens in the song. I, all I remember is it starts off by going, everybody knows. And then something like, that they are an couple. It's a terrible, terrible thing. I went, wow, I didn't even know there were actual lyrics to that song. There's lyrics to the odd couple. Hang on. I'm, I'm good. God, it's like the Star Trek song. Like, I had no idea the Star Trek theme song had lyrics to it. Yeah, which are amazing. Yeah, they are pretty amazing. They are truly, truly amazing. No matter where they go, they're known as the couple. They're never seen alone, so they're known as the couple. As I, I almost started singing, as I've indicated, they're never quite separated. They're peas in a pod. Don't you think that it's odd? Their habits, I confess, none can guess with the couple. If one says no, it's yes more or less, with the couple. But they're laugh-provoking, yet they don't really know they're joking. Don't you find, when love is blind, it's kind of odd? Wow. There you go. Uh, I'm, I think that it's probably sensible that they left the... Well, no, I mean, I ha- this is one of my, like, horrible confessions. I've never actually seen the Mathow and Lemon odd couple. Uh- no, I've only seen the TV show with Jack Klugman and uh, um, Tony Randall. You, you're, um, you're missing out. Yeah. Well, have you seen the Jack Klugman Tony Randall odd couple? Yes. Damn. All right. I was that was a bluff. I'm like, well, then you're missing out, Mister. But you're not. Even if you hadn't, you wouldn't really be. It's yeah. It's it's um, the odd couple. The odd couple movie's great. The TV show is is. It's a TV show. It's Gary Marshall. It's a Gary Marshall TV show. But the the the, the film's great. Mm-hmm. You should watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will. We, I'll get you've made it later. two hours, by the way, and I've not yet told you that I've read um, Thanos: The End or Marvel Universe: The End this week. Ooh. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Maybe Watchmen issue thirteen, if you're game. Uh. Okay. Um. It's kind of awesome, but it's also quite clearly the final Thanos story ever. Thanos the Even end. Even more than every other time where he's been like, and then I've decided to give up and find enlightenment. And become a farmer. Yeah, the plot of Thanos the end is, actually ends with him properly ceasing to exist. 
Because he gets ultimate power, he gets cosmic enlightenment, and then he realizes that basically he, like, the purpose of the person who is cosmically enlightened is just to let everything happen as it's supposed to. Mm. Oh, which reminds me, that was the other part that was awesome about the Grantland article. Um, did you catch that? How, like, at one point he's he's quoting Starlin talking about his conception of, of Captain Marvel. Um it's and Captain Marvel is in Starlin's description like a warrior who wants to become god and th- and that's sort of like and that's his trip man and you realize how he had turned his conception of Cap- that 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 hook for Captain Marvel and and basically transferred it quite fully to to Thanos yeah so I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, huh, okay. So he kind of really did. So that's that's interesting that he kind of went there and kind of fully, like, honestly, if you did that, it really is sort of the end of Thanos. There's no Yeah, that's just it. That like, he's, mm-hmm. he's done. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I might be misremembering. I seem to remember it ends with, like, Thanos actually not existing. Like, mm-hmm. rendering himself to the, the fabric of the universe and not existing. Mm-hmm. The end. Mm-hmm. And so, I like, I'm kind of curious what the follow-up series was and also that starlin was behind it do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it really feels like starlin's last word on the character mm-hmm. he's like it's part one where do you think we're going next like really yeah you had a next. like i can understand marvel had a next i cannot understand that you had a next yeah i don't i don't shit i wish i had that art of jim starlin book with me in my hands again because it he definitely talks about it and how there was some weird confusion between the two of them about it. And I don't remember what that was. I don't remember if it was like Marvel wanted him to keep going with it or he was confused and had planned, like didn't know that he was really supposed to end end the character. And that really was just part one. I don't recall. It's, it's yeah, it's a very, very strange thing, but you know, it was an interesting read. It, it, I got that on the Return of Thanos hardcover library mm-hmm. at the same time, which is the Silver Server issues where Thanos comes back to life, followed by the Thanos quest. Unbelievable. Unbelievable you can get that out of a library. Still a gog. Okay, yeah. And? Uh, and I did not enjoy that at all. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That seemed... Um, I mean, if this is going to sound ridiculous, considering, you know, I've also suffered through the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity War, and the Infinity Crusade. But mm-hmm. for surface issues in particular felt amazingly unsubtle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somewhat pricingly unsubtle. <laughs> well, I, I, I can see that. I mean, I haven't, I, I haven't read those issues. I really do need to sit down and read Engelhart and Silver Surfer and then Starlin issues. And Thanos, the Thanos quest stuff, I always thought worked perfectly just on its own. I could... You know, maybe I'm def- working too hard to defend it, but um, mm-hmm. did did the Thanos quest stuff also not work for you? Uh, it like better, mm-hmm. but you know, I uh, it would be a stretch to say that I was like, yes, this. That's, that's <laughs> what I think good comics are, um, right? Because it also Thanos quest feels very much like I have to bri- I have to do this before I get to Infinity Gauntlet. It feels filler. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. I mean, bear in mind that the point of the Thanos quest is him getting the soul gems. And right. the end of it is he's like, I've got the soul gems. Right. 
Well, yes, but hmm. for for whatever reason, uh, it works fine. Maybe part of it is is I remember encountering it as sort of the prologue to Infinity Gauntlet, and so it has enough cosmic ideas and stuff. Like, how do I put this? Like, it would be one thing if it started out differently, but it is basically Thanos saying, "I have this plan," and then. He gets all these soul gems and then he's like, okay, I've got the plan. And now that I have them together, they are now this thing that makes me unstoppable. Um, it's, you know, like, I'm kind of like, well, that's kind of what he said he was going to do. I, I don't know. I remember Good thinking that for me, it was just, well, what's Thanos. that? Good job. Yeah, exactly. 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 The Thanos quest, you now get the Thanos delivery bonus, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, it's funny. I, uh, huh. I'm fascinated that they didn't work. Is it, uh, who does the art on the Silver Surface stuff for Starlin? Is it Lim? Still? It's Ron Lim, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm then really channeling uh, Marshall Rogers' Silver Surfer for as well, kind of surprisingly. I'd forgotten that he did that for a while. Mm. He's I forgot the, that Marshall the, Rogers did it. Yeah, yeah Marshall Rogers does a, mm-hmm. like the first god year of Engelhart run. That's right. That's right. I remember reading that first issue of Engelhart and Rogers on Silver Surfer. Which uh, is him breaking free of Earth, I think, and then yes. me going, oh, yes. I'm not going to I, pick up the second I issue. love the way that he breaks free of Earth. Do you remember or not? I don't. So it, How starts, does it? it starts off with Silver Surfer being like, I am trapped on Earth. I am, you know, mm-hmm. been here for years. I am trapped on Earth. I am trapped on Earth. And he goes to right. Fantastic Four and he's like, I am trapped on Earth. I am sad. I am trapped on Earth. And the thing's like, yeah, if you ever tried to go up there in a spaceship, <laughs> that's right that's what it was it's amazingly elegant and kind of great yeah it's hilarious he's like oh mm-hmm. you mean it's, it's the, the, sh- the surfboard the strap there on earth <laughs> I love that solution it's so funny it's funny but it also is kind of elegant you know I remember as a kid being really both having the exact reaction of like that's amusing but also like that's great like that totally plays well with sort of everything that's been established. Yeah. Like it didn't it didn't really seem like a cheat. So, yeah, I I liked it and yet weirdly enough was enough of a silver surfer purist that I was like, I don't want to read stories of him in space and never picked up the second issue. That cuz I'm a bozo. You're lost, my friend. Mhm. Because mm-hmm. he kept fucking coming back to earth. <laughs> He'd come back to earth on for any reason. Oh, I'm so, sure. I'm did sure. you say it's Ben Grimm's birthday? I'm a. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really an issue? No, sadly not. But ah! Marvel two and one had been around. That would have been an issue. It totally would have been. I can actually see. I can see Englehart deciding to do it. Frankly, and that's part of what I love about the guy. Um, wow. Well, fantastic. So, so, um, so Starlin. Are you going to keep pursuing more, or have you basically had your fill? Uh, I kind of... I don't know where I'd go next, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've probably had my fill. Mm-hmm. I might be more likely to follow Thanos mm-hmm. and start looking into all the Annihilation stuff. Oh, interesting. Which I've kind of peeked at before, but things like uh, what was it called? The Thanos Imperative, which is the, the last series that uh, Abnett and Lanning did. Mm-hmm. I'd be kind of curious to see what that's like. Mm. Interesting. 
But you wouldn't, you, would you just think, do you think you'd skip to that or you would check out all the Annihilation books and, and read the ones that are interesting? Because I've read all the, I've read the Annihilations. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I remember them being exhausting. Yeah. I remember them not being fun. Mm-hmm. Just being like, holy shit, really? I've got to read the Wraith and I've got to read Ronin. Who are these non-entities that I really don't care about? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I really like Dabna and Lanning's Nova. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, I kind of liked uh, the second Annihilation, whatever it's called. Annihilation Conquest, I think it's called. Uh, right, because that was Abnet and Lanning at that no, point. But also yeah. because um, it's the 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 bad guys I remember from New Mutants when I was reading New Mutants. It's it's Warlock's race. Oh. Huh. Um, and that was like my year of New Mutants. I was reading New Mutants when it was Claremont and Jackson Geis. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just like two stories. It's magic going evil and Warlock's dad coming to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I have, a, I have a lot of affinity for those guys, for those villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I seem to remember I, re- I liked Conquest. But at the same time, I don't really have a lot of interest in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like the first incarnation of the Guardians of the Galaxy, definitely. Really like mm-hmm. the concept. But the they're the A-team of space with Rocket Raccoon. So much. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Right. Right. We'll see where you end up going from here. Part of me was kind of hoping, like, you know, back when we were doing the, the overview of Starlin, uh, and somebody else, somebody actually did mention a DC comic that Starlin had done that we completely overlooked. Oh, it was um, Cosmic Odyssey, um, which I agree. I you know I've it's always held such a weird spot in my heart in some ways. Um, it's really it's a, such a weird comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I have like I have weird issues with it as a Kirby purist. Interesting. Interesting. Because I I have yeah. He's yeah. like you know what they're at like they're they're. He decides the anti-life equation is a thing, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, this is my problem with it is is that I, there's there there's several problems with it, but I I barely remember. It's it's like yeah, there's like the anti-life equation, and then it isn't it a thing in several pieces? So people split up to different teams, and they end up on different planets. And, and... also, it does the it has the John Stewart destroys a planet thing, which exactly as John Stewart is like my favorite Green Lantern. I again have this like emotional recoiling from it right well see that's it it's kind of the issue that sort of i think that's my problem like parts of it looked lovely like you know because it's mignola drawing it and starlin actually has stuff happen but but i remember not liking yeah there was something about the the new god the fact that the new god's angle seemed weirdly played out because he was going straight for the anti-life equation and also even though I, I like John Stewart fine because I, I, you know, basically Englehart had really brought back the character and sort of retailored him and made him work. And it felt like it broke the character, of course. So, um, but you went on to, I mean, you kind of can't have Green Lantern mosaic without having Cosmic Odyssey, John Stewart, can you? Or does that bother you at all? Um, no, you can't, but. As much as I like Mosaic, I would rather like give up Mosaic to not have the period where they're like, and the black guy fucked up. Yeah, the black guy fucked everyone up. 
Yeah, no, I did. I was never a fan of that either. Frankly, you know, like um, that, that's mm-hmm. that's really that's unpleasant taste in mouth shit. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Totally agreed. Um, well, the great thing is, is with the new fifty two that doesn't exist. That'll probably be well, the, it, one of the things they'll keep. Fifty two, right? like John Stewart isn't John Stewart. The, everything. No, it's not true. Almost everything I like about John Stewart's character is not the John Stewart that's in the books now. I have huh. absolutely no interest in the John Stewart is uh, a guy from the military who is the world's greatest sharpshooter like angle at all. I I I far prefer the John Stewart is the architect and activist who essentially came down to earth when he got the cosmic powers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like my my John Stewart is the is the guy from Mosaic. My John Stewart is like the really complicated, conflicted guy who is much more about has has realized the consequences of his actions such mm-hmm. an extent that it's he's somewhat paralyzed, but not it's mm-hmm. like destroy the fucking planets. Um, right. Whereas you know the, the John Stewart that's in the comics now is like you know I've got to kill Mogo to save the world. I'll do it. I am the most honorable man around. Right. So I, where did the whole John Stewart Space Marine thing come from? Did that come emerge from was that who the character was in the Justice League cartoons and John's just took that and yep. developed it or Yep. Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of a it's it it I'm kind of like, "Huh, that kind of sucks." Even though part of me is generally like um, approves when they take some of the stuff from the cartoons and try to transplant it onto doesn't the... work like that. That's an awkward one. Yeah. Oh, so right. So you could reread Cosmic Odyssey if you were going to read Starlin at DC, and then reread his Batman and and tell me what it's like to re- revisit Ten Nights of the Beast or whatever. I have absolutely no desire to reread his Batman. <laughs> Uh, Cosmic Odyssey, maybe. I was kind of tempted to see if I can get the Essential Warlock from the library. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. Essential mm, Warlock. Curse you, Marvel. Curse you, Marvel, indeed. Like, if only you'd put that motherfucking thing out like four years ago when I was buying any Essential you published. Bastards. That's <sighs> Jeff. Mm-hmm. That yeah. they didn't. Wait. What is what's that line? That's what you get when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Um, do, do you know what I'm talking about? No. The, the, did you you've seen the Big Lebowski, right? Yeah, I've, I I have no recollection of that line though. Well, of course, because that is the rewritten line for broadcast and basic cable television. Of that's what you get when you fuck a stranger in the ass. That um, when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Yeah, this is what you get when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Apparently, the, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but the rumor is that the Cohen brothers actually rewrote the substitute, the substitution for the um, profanity for the broadcast version, and so therefore it's hysterical and hilarious. That, um, yeah. So a- after hearing that, I'm like, oh my god, how does one go about renting this like broadcast version of the Big Lebowski? Because that sounds amazing. Um, Anyway, so yes, that's what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Watchmen issue 13. Do you mind talking about it a little bit? Uh, yes, but we'll have to do so relatively quickly because we are now re- – we're in extra time. This might 
I know we really uh, are. We're running. You know what? Let's let's talk. Let's talk no, about it next. No, week. no, no. Let's talk about it now because we brought it up, and everyone's going to wonder what the fuck we're talking about. Um, Jeff, I think you should talk about this because I have I have read it, and I am my mind is blown by it. But you have actually talked to Miguel about this. Yes. Okay. Well, so listeners, uh, Miguel Corti, who is a listener of the podcast, uh, sent us an, an email recently, just the other day, um, congratulating us uh, on our hundredth. Was he congratulating us on our hundredth? He, he's. It's what's great is he actually listens to us like several months late because he lives in Japan and gets all of his books all in one go and all at a month late. So to avoid spoilers, he actually doesn't follow us on the website uh and he usually listens to us at least a month if not two months later in which case happy christmas maybe oh yeah we should we should actually wish miguel uh like a happy new year yeah merry christmas Uh, we should make up things about the far our far-flung future uh just to throw him off he might yes the election oh that's true when he listens to it uh God, why did you mention the election? Did you watch the debates? Can we? Should we talk? We can't talk about the debates. Uh, did, did I watch the debates? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That was um, appalling. Happened. Were you appalled? <laughs> it was. It was kind of terrible, wasn't it? It really was. It really was. That was that was a horrible, horrible thing. I have to say. Um, wait, what just disappeared? Are you okay? I'm still recording. Can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Yeah. Okay, great. I just had this one weird thing where suddenly my computer screen totally changed and I'm like, oh shit, we're not recording. Yeah, the debates. Um, That was incredibly depressing. It'll be curious to see what other ones are like. I don't really want to poke this political uh, nest of hornets. Also, because I'm obviously on such a, uh, um, you know, sugar thin wall of euphoria, I'm afraid it will just collapse if we start talking about the, the... majestic mess that was the debates but that was just i don't know uh, kind of appalling so someone who's not appalling miguel corti who lives in japan who was trying to figure out a way to thank us uh and basically did like one of the most awesome things that i i can i can i can't even really wrap my brain around essentially miguel who had been listening to our podcast had um remembered uh us you and i graham talking about the 13th issue of watchmen which was i think i think it was something that i remember having the idea for but i don't know if it was something to what extent you and i fleshed it out together but uh, essentially a 13th issue of watchmen that would take you would take the 12 issues of watchmen that came before it and since it's on a nine by nine grid essentially cut out all the panels and create uh, uh, a cut up of the entire t- of the first 12 issues assemble the panels uh, in random order and then compare you know basically you would have a, an issue that would look sort of like the what Dr. Manhattan how he sees the world well God bless him Miguel actually did this and assembled a 29 page comic that he actually sent to us um that kind of blew my mind, Graham. Um, it, I... It's kind of amazing, isn't it? So, yeah, what it is, is it is an entirely new comic made up of panels from other issues of Watchmen. So you're seeing Watchmen fragmented in time. Yeah, And he makes and... a comment about how it's as unreadable as you would expect it to be. And the mm-hmm. weird thing is, 
it totally has a narrative of its own. Yes. Yeah. The thing that's amazing is you take, you know, I I say 29 pages. It's the cover plus 28 pages. 28 pages of randomly assembled Watchmen panels put on a, you know, put on this nine panel grid. And what emerges because the characters know each, you know, they're all from the same story is reading them in a different order like this, in in a random order, like you said, a new narrative really emerges from it. And the thing that's fascinating is, you know, you get pages where that 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 new narrative seems very manifest. You're like, holy shit, this is really going to be about something. And then, and of course, because of the nature of statistical randomness, it it kind of sort of falls apart to God blah blue. But I was really oh, surprised. I, I found it like. I- and you know my, you know, apathy towards Watchmen in the first place. I find it yes. much more emotionally affecting than Watchmen. Interesting. I okay. really do. I, there's, oh, I don't know. It's just, it feels, you know, this is probably not the case because what are the odds? It right. feels like it is saying something more about relationships and about... Yes. And about love than Watchmen mm-hmm. is. I mean, there, yeah. there are parts where it's just... Oh, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to open it up again because it's... Yeah, it's kind of amazing. There are parts where it's... The, the panels that play off each other are, mm-hmm. are just kind of amazing. Yeah. The the thing that's that's kind of amazing about Miguel's issue of Watchmen is that although you've got all these panels uh, which have Rorschach in them and a lot of Dr. Manhattan narration panels, as you can imagine, since those dudes got their full, you know, issues to themselves. But as Graham points out, the the thing that's really that makes it a comic about relationships and love is it's Miguel's issue of Watchmen 13 by complete random chance ends up being really about the relationship between Dan Drayberg and Laurie Jupiter and essentially almost the charting of this sort of furtive affair like even even the fact that the this the 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 title that um miguel pulled pretty much at random since everything else was was the two writers are approaching um title from like issue 10 or 11 can almost be this weird elliptical uh mention in, in the context of the way these panels pop up of Lori and Dan, because real early on, there's that page where it's the two of them sort of recomposing themselves mm-hmm. after kicking all the hoodlums' asses. Mm-hmm. But because it's randomly assembled and you never see that fight, you just see the two of them turned away from each other, recomposing themselves. And it becomes an entirely new context, which is the context of two lovers who are ashamed of what they're doing composing themselves don't don't you think yeah and, and the part that really got me i'm looking at the, the pdf right now um page 19 and 20 so page 19 is from is from the opening of issue 12 so it is a full mm-hmm. page of the squid in new york with lots and lots of people killed entirely silent yes. the mm-hmm. first panel of page 20 is dr manhattan looking out into the night sky completely alone it's completely silent. And then the panel after that is Dan saying, oh God, Laurie, Laurie, hang on, I'm coming as he races out the door. 
followed by Dan in costume saying, oh, God damn, God damn, God damn. It's just, mm-hmm. that is so powerful to me. Yeah. Like those four panels in particular playing off each other like that is amazing. Huh. You know what's really funny is I thought that um the the panels that played really well for me are at the the bottom of that same page. I mean among the other things, but you've got Lori looking into the snow globe mm-hmm. and it's got the reflection of her face in the circular snow globe and then and it then immediately the... ties into the ABC logo. Yeah, the ABC logo, yeah. which is this clock ticking. It's like this perfect juxtaposition of the circular motif, but it's because it's being jan- generated by randomness, mm-hmm. you you realize it can't be intentional. Again, um, you then go, so in that panel, uh, you mm-hmm. get Laurie saying, Dan, can you move over a little? Then you get yes. a, a panel of Dr. Manhattan on the next page, and then the next line is, but not American love. American love like Coke and green glass bottles. Followed by Dan leaving the bedroom. From, yes. We know from the book, the blue glow of the television, but because it's right next to the Dr. Manhattan thing, it's like he is leaving Laurie to Dr. Manhattan. Yes. There's, there's all yes. this nuance that like just comes about that Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm just reading more into it because there's not such a, an obvious narrative. I feel like I have to put more into it. But I right. honestly get so much more from this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the thing that that is beautiful and ironic about it to me. I mean, one of the things that was great uh, is exchanging a couple of emails with Miguel and and having him talk about it. And I, I should read those excerpts because I think they illuminate. But the thing that's great is just the very thing that you say, Graham, about you seeing the fragments and you assembling your own narrative to it. Like one of the things that's delightful about it is that is like when I had talked about how the 13th issue of Watchmen is how Dr. Manhattan would see the world. Miguel, who actually assembled an entire issue that's a random cut-up of Watchmen, is really, almost in its weird way, more like it's literally a Rorschach test. It's how you look at it and how you assemble it. You know, you, the reader, actually assemble these facts before your eyes um, into a narrative that you know, sometimes falls apart and sometimes comes together, but has this strange emotional undercurrent that you invest in it, again, the same way that people looking at the random ink blots of a Rorschach test will see images in them. So the thing that's amazing is, is even though you're right, what you're seeing is sort of randomness and and something that moves you tremendously, uh, Weirdly enough, the the process by which we do that also ends up mirroring um, some of the things that Alan Moore was talking about in Watchmen. And that's the thing that really blew me away about this 13th issue is perhaps, of course, by its very nature, it makes you look at bits of Watchmen and realize how much, for me, like what... Moore is doing with Watchmen. I, I basically looked at his reoccurrence of motifs as essentially kind of cutesy poo cleverness. You know what I mean? Mm. Like of, of an incredibly formalistically high, impressive level. But now I'm actually starting to think that a lot of those things that appear, when you think that you have a character who's literally called Rorschach and an entire issue that's talking about the perception of whether there is good and evil in the world, um, that that you are 
looking at these patterns that Moore puts everywhere. And it's like, you, you I see them and see them as uh, authorial, I don't know, flourishes. Um, but realizing that maybe what Moore is intending them to be is as symbols, like, what do you see in the symbol? Like, you know, again, the idea of the smiley face with the with the blood stain on it becoming, you know, the clock at a certain moment before midnight becoming, you know, Dan's goggles, which have the smear of dust against them to, to becoming the, the crater on Mars with the, the crashed crystal. Do you see it, it, it? Is the pattern there or are you is your brain imposing it on there? And for some reason, I just really kind of got the idea that Watchmen, which really is about a character that can change, you know, two characters, one of whom tries to change the destiny of the world and the other of whom sees all of time but insists that he has no ability to change the what actually happens, um, that there's kind of a conceit at the core of the book that has to do with pattern recognition and how that ties into the, a conception of destiny, if it actually exists. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? No, totally. It, it's just... I did not expect that something like this would make me reassess Watchmen. In large part because Watchmen is one of those things that, like, you just do have to just think of and assess so much. Mm -hmm. For want of a better way of putting it, like, you can't just read it. Do you know what I mean? It's so big. Right. I feel like you've got to start read it, and then you have to sit down and be like, I am now processing this. This is what I'm, th I'm thinking. But this. Hold on, just one second. I hate to do this to you. You're doing the built up on I'm going to call you back in okay. just two seconds. Okay. Just, okay, one second. Hold on. Hi. Hey, you're there. Wow, you don't. You, you sound slightly more canned, but. Far less bazilzy bubby. So well, that good. that's good. Um, just before we start recording again, I just have to tell you after this, I have to get off the phone. I know. Like, I'm so sorry. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Um. Anyway, what I was saying was, it's I would not expect something to make me reassess Watchmen because you you have to assess it so much. Like yes, you can't just read it. You have to be like, okay, this is Watchmen. You know, Watchmen is very important for these reasons. I am aware of these reasons. Do you know what I mean? Like there, you. Especially with before Watchmen, especially with the Watchmen movie recently, yeah, you you can't. Watchmen is not a story anymore. Watchmen mm -hmm. is a thing, exactly. And, and you have to address Watchmen as a thing. This, honest to God, made me like Watchmen more, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I would I would not have expected. Yes. But this this gave me all this emotional connection that I I did not have to the original book, mm. and it makes me want to go back and read the original book. Oh, God, yeah. To see what happens now that I have this emotional connection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To see to what extent it plays out. I, I, I know what you mean. And in fact, one of the things I said to Miguel when I wrote him and thanked him profusely that I think is worth mentioning is in, in thanking him so much, I, one of the things that I said that I appreciated about this is that it struck me as this deeply great DIY way of being able to take Watchmen back from the before Watchmen machine. You know what I mean? Like, 
I re, part of me is like, man, I want to put a page up and 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 actually post something on Savage Critics so people can hear about how Miguel's process of how he created this. Because part of me is sort of like, it was it's such a powerful thing to read this thirteenth cut up issue and like you said, the connection that you forged with it, like. I sort of want to make my own now. And I, I kind of would love it if everyone made their own 13th issue of Watchmen. Like, just because, n- not to diminish Miguel's achievement in any way. I mean, it is brilliant. And I, I can't, I'm still knocked out by the results. But it had such a strong way of reconnecting me to the book and also kind of reconnecting me to the way that the book, I guess, was conceived. That, that, you know, it really is just this um, kind of amazing achievement. And like you said, those pages that you are affected by are really affecting and and do break you out of this weird, like, just um, what would you call it? Like slightly gelled way of perceiving Watchmen. You know? Yeah, no, it totally. You, you think you think you know what Watchmen is. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, you still do. This is not Watchmen as such. Right. But it makes you reconsider what you think Watchmen is. Yeah, yeah. Every piece and part of it, you you have to re, you reconsider it in this new context. And as a result, it's kind of impossible not to end up with a, a at least a new thought or two about the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's it's an amazing thing. If if we do put something up, like I'd like to put the whole PDF up. I don't know if that's possible. You know, I'll ask Miguel if he's down for it. I would so totally be okay with with like. What I would do is basically throw a page in or two on the post and then, yeah, link to it sort of the same way that I did uh, Hibbs's newsletter. Just put it in the public drop box for people to hit. Um, and I, If you're going to put a page up, I'd put the last page. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Well, I will um, – I'll, I'll take that as the vote. I, of course, adored that one page 10 that I think I – which was probably really page 9 that I mentioned to Miguel where like – the Rorschach, you know, face. Oh yeah, okay. the actually, actually, yes. actually, yeah, that's that's kind of amazing. Yeah, that that and, page and also unset. Yeah, okay, maybe page six. Now that I'm looking at it, that in terms of like at least visually, mm-hmm. that yeah, that that's an amazing one. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, if only for the first couple of panels, okay. and then the way the second panel repeats in the sixth panel, repeats in the seventh panel. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So okay, maybe page ten. <laughs> What you should get from this, people, is that seeing as I've now called out like four particular pages that have this massive reaction in me of a twenty-nine page PDF, one mm-hmm. page of which is the cover, this is this is kind of a thing. This is amazing. Yeah, it kind of is a thing. So yeah, we'll see if uh Miguel uh again, let's give you a huge shout out for this achievement. I hope that this gets a a lot of people um, get a chance to see this and see what you did and just be kind of blown away by it. And I'm incredibly touched that this was a thing that you said that you did for us, uh, for the podcast, which is just unbelievably touching um, to, to the point where I'm like, it's okay if you say that, but we all know that it was just because you did blankety blank. But yeah, because Graham and I I, I, I can't literally conceive of someone being that awesome for us, so. Yeah, it's it's kind of it makes you kind of embarrassed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're kind of like, really, all we do is a podcast. That this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So let's wrap it up because 
poor Graham. I kept him on the phone for way too long. Um, yeah. Okay. So as you know, people, we started 50 minutes late. Normally we finish, no joke, more than an hour before this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm going to be, when I'm editing this, I'm going to be like, oh, Yo, are Jesus. You good? Like, why did we go on for three hours? I but, know. I know. Uh, anyway. Hey, listeners. Thanks for listening. You're yep. awesome people. Um, Miguel, you're, you're king awesome. Sorry, everyone else, but come on. Uh, <laughs> hey! <laughs> thank you. I was going to tell you to play that. Oh, <laughs> uh, people are actually are we back next week or is next week or skip week? No, I think I think we're back next week. I mean, I don't know. I, we did we hadn't set our next skip week, but I assumed it was going to be like at the end of the Oh, hey, let's do that. That's a okay. So we'll just keep plowing through, people. Just keep tuning in. We'll be back with episode 103 before you know. And by before we know, we mean in a week. Yeah, exactly. If you fall asleep for a really long time before you know it, but otherwise, you've got a week. <laughs> Bye!